We are on air for Fans for Racing's NASCAR Weekend Preview, and this week we are previewing the ARCA races at Winchester Speedway and for the ARCA Menard Series West at Colorado National Speedway. Okay, so uh, our agenda for tonight is during our first half hour, we are going to actually review the ARCA Menard Series and the ARCA East race at Iowa Speedway last weekend. Uh, Then we're going to preview the ARCA West at Colorado National and then the ARCA Menard Series at Winchester Speedway. In the second half hour, we're going to give you updates on all the NASCAR Series, including the Cup Series, the Xfinity Series, and the Truck Series. And then at 9.30, we're going to have one hour for NASCAR Hot Topics Sound Off. And I think we've got uh, quite a few topics there to talk about. So joining me for tonight's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Kind of a weird off night on Monday, but back here on Thursday for a review preview show. Exactly. We've got another off night next Monday. So we'll be reviewing the uh, ARCA races this weekend, uh, next Thursday. And then the following Monday, we're going to be back on track, uh, which means that uh, our first show back is actually going to be August the 9th, Monday, August the 9th. But we will be here, no show next Monday on the 2nd, but we will be here next Thursday to review the races this weekend, and then the Monday show returns on August the 9th. So just review on some uh, programming updates there. Okay, let's go to the Arkham and Art Series race in Iowa. Ty Gibbs did it again. Well, that's one of those, uh, you know, the week before we talked about it, he acknowledged that he got beat and just outrun. I think he came back and said, hey, you're not going to get me twice. Uh, made a statement that he, you're going to have to work hard to beat him more than once. Right, right. He spent the first half of the season uh, failing to jump Corey Hyman in the series point standings, uh, but after the, that was after Corey Hyman won the season opener at Daytona International Speedway. But now it's going to be Heim on that side of the fence, uh, and he's hoping that he doesn't have to spend the second half of the season trying to jump Ty Gibbs because he now has the series points lead. Yeah, we said this was going to be an interesting battle, and in with one uh, finish outside of the top ten, you're right. Ty Gibbs, whether winning or or not, was still having to play catch up, and he finally did. Yes, he did. Uh, so Heim, to this point, had a lot of consistency that helped him. He had an average finish of two point five. That's the best among the series regulars. But uh, holding off Gibbs, uh, that was only going to last for so long. The, the 149 laps that Gibbs led at Iowa gave him 945 laps led on the season, and that's about five times more than the second-place driver, Daniel Dye, who's led 198 laps. So Gibbs has led the series in wins since May when his victory at Toledo Speedway broke the tie with Corey Hines. <clears throat> so, 
some key indicators there. There, there is, and it's going to be interesting. I know those two by themselves have kind of established a, a gap, a points lead that might be unsurmountable. But I think we're starting to see some other drivers really mix it up with them, which could be interesting in that battle between the two of them, if it's not just a battle of wins between the two of them. That's true. Uh, He got a 27th place finish at Talladega Super Speedway in April after an accident uh, was the primary reason that made it hard for him to catch up. He also let victory slip away at Pocono Raceway in June and again at Alco Speedway earlier this month. So Heim won both of those races, which is why he kept the series points lead. Uh, Those moments delayed what felt inevitable because Gibbs has had a dominant performance this year. And at Iowa, he emphatically uh, made it a reality to take over the series points lead. Definitely going to be interesting as the, as the hunter now becomes the hunted, but I think Gibbs is up to the challenge. We've seen the strength of his team all year long. Like I said, the difference was that one bad finish, which was outside the top 10, which uh, Corey Heim had not had as of yet. So we'll have to see how that plays out through the rest of the season. And then, like I said, mix in those uh, drivers that are starting to compete at the same level and getting in there and mixing it up. That's true. So Gibbs actually did make some history Saturday night at Iowa because uh, besides uh, making his triumphant in the point standings, uh, the winner of last year's Shore Lunch 150 at Iowa, Gibbs became the first multiple-time Arkham Menard Series winner and the first back-to-back Arkham Menard Series winner at the D-shaped track. The first 14 uh, ARCA races at Iowa dating back to 2006 produced 14 different winners, so he's the very first to repeat at Iowa Speedway. All right, Sharon, I don't know uh, if you saw my message, which it doesn't look like it's going through. I got no Internet all of a sudden. Oh, okay, so... I'm just going right along here. If you want to respond, that's fine. Um, I will say that uh, Gibbs faced a few challenges for the lead on Saturday night. The one lap he did not lead was the result of Taylor Gray getting a good jump on a restart on lap 25 before the eventual winner actually pulled away. Uh, but uh, die close Gibbs lead to a little more than a second for the last couple of laps, but the latter's lead was uh, too big for him, and he was not able to uh, get past him. Uh, what I can do, let me know when you get your Internet back, Jay. Um, okay. I'm going to yeah, kind of go here. over the series points real quick. I mean the uh, results real quick, if I can okay. find them here. Usually they have a link to the results. And for some reason, I'm not seeing it. There it is. Okay, the race results uh, for the Shore, one, uh, Shore Lunch 150. It was Ty Gibson first. Daniel Dye came home in second place. Then it was Taylor Gray. Corey Heim in fourth place followed by Nick Sanchez rounding out the top five finishers. Uh, the next five drivers were Fed Moffitt, 
Jesse Love, Mason Diaz, Roger Carruth, and Holmes. Those are your top ten uh, finishers. Uh, some of the drivers that didn't finish uh, because of either crashes or uh, 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 parts issues, you had uh, Sammy Smith was involved with a crash along with Joe Yeast and Connor Jones. Uh, those guys all uh, were out fairly early because of a crash. Then Brad Smith had a clutch issue. Um, another driver, transmission, that's Tony Casentino. And Stephanie Moyer had problems with her brakes. So uh, that gives you an update there. Uh, and I don't know, Jay, are you are you there yet? I am logging back on off of my phone. That seems to still be working. So trying to get all the pages back up here uh, to get back in line with you. Um, but I mentioned there, as you read through the results, you see Nick Sanchez is one of them I was referring to. Daniel Dye, another one. They are right there mm-hmm. with these two guys. As far as, again, they may not be winning every week, but uh, an occasional win, you see the improvement and that closing that gap. So that's what I'm really excited about here in the Arkham Menard series. Absolutely. And then just real quick, we'll do the points because then we have to move on to our preview. Uh, Ty Gibbs leads Corey Hahn by four points. In third place is Thad Moffitt. He's 80 points back. Nick Sanchez, fourth, 96 points back. And then uh, Drew Dollar in fifth is uh, actually 269 points back, but he has only eight races of the 11 that he was in. So the top four drivers have raced all 11 races. So uh, really uh, a, good, a nice uh, race for Ty Gibbs there at the uh, – All right. Which one are we going to go to first, uh, Winchester or Colorado at the preview? Well, hold on. i got to go back because we're going to go to Colorado first. But real quick, I want to give the Arca East points as well because they were competing for points too. Uh, Sammy Smith still leads. Uh, but his Mason Diaz now is in second, 19 points back. It was 30 points. Daniel Dye in third is 26 points back. Max Gutierrez is uh, next in fourth place, 30 points back. And Joy East is in fifth place, 35 points back. Roger Carruth uh, is another driver who's raced all six races. He is sixth, 37 points back. So that pretty much tells the story there in the Arkham and Art Series East after after those six races. So first we're going to go to uh, uh, the Colorado race, which is the Arca West. All right. Okay, let me see if I can catch up here. Uh, tip box. Okay, Colorado National. That is for the uh, Arkham Menard Series West. They are racing Saturday, July the 31st at 8.05 p.m. Mountain. That is 10.05 p.m. Eastern. It will be available on live streaming on NBC Sports Gold Track Pass, or you can go to arcaracing.com to hear their radio coverage. Uh, the track is a .375-mile paved oval They'll be racing 150 laps to cover a distance of 50 miles. There will be practice and qualifying at 4.30 p.m. locally, the race at 8.05, and uh, that's, uh, that's about uh, everything that there is there. 
So uh, a lot to look forward to in this Arco West race, Jay. There certainly is, and I think we're going to see. It's going to be interesting here uh, when we talk about the other race of which drivers still possibly try and make both as there are two scheduled for that evening. So West drivers aren't going to be entered into the Arkham Menards uh, series along with that Sioux Chief showdown. Uh, So that's going to be interesting as to where drivers are. Yes, it is. Uh, So the Sioux Chief showdown, we didn't even cover that, but we will in this segment, uh, the series point standings for that, because this next race is, a Sioux Chief Showdown event for the Arkham Menard Series, but that's going to be at, at uh, Colorado. That's going to be at uh, Winchester Speedway, not Colorado National. Right, that's what I'm saying. Some of the West drivers say Jesse Love has been competing in those and obviously cannot compete in both, so uh, that's going to adjust those points when we look at them as well. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm sorry, I was uh, a little distracted there, so I misunderstood. Okay, uh, now Colorado National has been a pretty popular stop for the drivers and teams, so a lot of them have been looking forward to this race uh, since the checker flag waved at uh, Irwindale Speedway on July 3rd. So uh, the driver who dominated at Irwindale, uh, before Jesse Love won was Dean Thompson. He's in the field again this week at Colorado uh, after moving up to second behind the leader and veteran racer Todd Souza, who's also in the field Saturday night. So that sets up a pretty exciting race for our Colorado National, Jay. And we've seen this in the West as the uh, the series started running its own separate races, as it will again this weekend how those points are going to shake out for these West drivers. And we see Jesse Love right there in contention now, as well as Todd Souza, who was holding that points lead during that time frame where they had multiple uh, overlaps. Mm-hmm. That's true. That is very true. Uh, now, Thompson is kind of a quasi-teammate, if you will, at Sunrise Ford Racing. So that makes him uh, teammates with Trevor Huddleston and Jake Drew. Now that trio wants to pick up the team's first win at Colorado National since Derek Thorne had a victory in 2018. Since then, it's been Bill McAnally Racing who's uh, stole the show at Colorado. So uh, this happens sometimes in the West, uh, the contest between Sunrise Ford Racing and Bill McAnally Racing. Okay, so uh, Bill McAnally has won, a driver from that organization has won eight of the 18 West Series races at the Bullring in Decano, Colorado, dating back to 1995, including five of the past seven, when in 2017, Chris Eggleston won his second consecutive race at Colorado National. BMR actually swept the podium. So the West regulars, uh, Jesse Love and Cole Moore, will run for uh, BMR at Colorado this year. And the third BMR entry will feature Jo Lynn Jojo Wilkinson. She's a 17-year-old from Hueytown, Alabama, 
uh, and a participant in the uh, BMR Drivers Academy this year, and she's making her season debut. So that makes it pretty interesting uh, from their point of view. Okay. Do I still have you with me? Yeah, okay, as you I say, any driver happened. coming out of Hueytown, Alabama is going to draw, draw some attention. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't know how you're doing with the Internet. Do you have the points up for the West, Jay? No, I am sorry. For some reason, I cannot stay connected to any any Internet uh, to include my phone. Okay, so let me go over the points real quick. Uh, we covered it a little bit. Todd Souza is in the lead, but actually, if you look at the actual points, he is tied with Dean Thompson. They're both sitting at 112 points. So the difference is that uh, the average start and finishes uh, and the results. Uh, one top five. Okay, here's the difference. He's got three top tens, Todd Souza does, compared to two top tens by Dean Thompson. So that's why he has the points lead right now, even though they have the same points. Uh, he also has an average start of 5.0 and an average finish of 6.7. Uh, compared to Dean Thompson's 10.3 average start and 7.7 average finish. Uh, in third place is Cole Moore, uh, and he's at 100, it says 111, so he's just one point back. Jesse Love is two points back at 110, so this is pretty darn tight. Jake Drew is at 104. He's tied with Trevor Huddleston in sixth, also at 104. And uh, the reason is he has that one top five. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Jake Drew has one top five compared to Trevor Huddleston's zero. Uh, in seventh place is Paul Pedron Sully, Jr. He's at uh, 101 points. So that's – but it's really tight here. Joey East is uh, in eighth place at 93. Um, Bridget Burgess in ninth place at 89, and Bobby Hillis Jr. at 88 points in 10th place. All of those drivers have three starts. Uh, if we go to 11th place, Takuma Koga also has three races in, and he is just 82 points back. So this is a very tight contest in the West, Jay. It is. You're talking 11 drivers within 30 points there. Uh, I know when we talk about the East, we saw a 30-point gap there from first to second. So uh, that's going to be so exciting as these guys sort themselves out. Again, we look for Jesse Love maybe to try and defend his uh, West Series title right now sitting in fourth, but only two points uh, amongst the other three drivers that are above him. That's just unbelievable. It is unbelievable. So these guys um... – these guys really uh, are uh, looking to uh, um, really make a, a statement at Colorado National and of where they want to be on that series point standing. So I think it's going to be a bit of a dogfight. Oh, you know it's going to be a dogfight. And the interesting thing to me will be, uh, as we see Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim really watching each other as far as the points battle 
uh, that we didn't see any kind of, uh, let's say, retaliation, but we know things have gotten heated between the two of them before. Uh, Ty Gibbs able to just power his way by and pick up that victory. So we'll have to see what comes back around as Corey Heim is going to need to do the same kind of statement in return. And you can see the entry list over at uh, Arca Racing. There are some spoilers on this entry list. Uh, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen drivers, if my count is correct, on the entry list for Colorado National. And uh, some of the local drivers are in there. That could be spoilers uh, at this race as well. But now we're going to have to move on to the next race at Winchester Speedway, the Calypso Lemonade uh, 200 uh, will take place there. Let's see if I can pull up the info for that race at Winchester Speedway. That race is also going to be Saturday, July the 31st at 8 p.m. Eastern. It will be available on MAP-TV or the NBC Gold Track Pack members, but you can also listen to the radio at arcaracing.com. This is a half-mile paved oval. They'll be racing 200 laps to cover a distance of 100 miles. The garage opens at 10.45 p.m., practice at 4.15, qualifying at 6, and the race at 8 o'clock. All times are Eastern time, uh, so keep that in mind as well. So... Uh, a lot to look forward to here at Winchester Speedway because this is showdown race as well as the Arkham Menard Series. Well, and throw one more in there uh, when we talk about that. It's the 12th race of the 2021 Arkham Menard season. It's the sixth, sixth round of the Sioux Chief Showdown. And also, it is round three of the CGS Imaging Four Crown. So yet another points uh-huh. battle there as as they battle for that CGS Imaging Four Crown title. Yes, thank you for bringing that up. I'd completely forgotten about it. Okay, no, so they're back on track for the fourth. It's the fourth Saturday night short track race in as many weeks. Uh, the series has produced three different winners so far. So the question is, will we have a different winner on Saturday night? Uh, or will it be Ty Gibbs, Corey Heim, or Daniel Guy that can prevent the fourth new winner? Now, the defending winner at the High Bank Short Track, uh, Gibbs, has a chance to go back-to-back at the track for the second week. Uh, we mentioned that his victory at Iowa Speedway last week made him the first multiple-time winner at the venue in the Arkham Menard Series. So Winchester hasn't seen a back-to-back winner since Frank Kimmel won three straight in 2003, 2000, I'm sorry, 2002, 2003, and 2006. So uh, that gives us something to look forward to as well. And we mentioned that that win gave at Iowa gave Gibbs that championship points lead uh, by four over Heim, who at Winchester, he'll be looking to return that punch. Now, Dye is also in the field. Uh, for his fourth Arkham Menard Series start after winning in just his second start there at Berlin Raceway back on July 17th. And we mentioned the Clipso Lemonade 200 also marks round number six of the 2021 Sioux Chief Showdown. 
which that's a 10-race series within the series that's run on road courses and short tracks. It's designed to bring together the best of the Arkham Menard Series, the Arkham Menard Series East, and the Arkham Menard Series West. Now, Gibbs currently leads time in those standings for that series as well. Now, in addition to Saturday's race at Winchester, uh, it's also the round three of the 2021 CGS Imaging Four Crown, and that's a four-race series within the overall Arkham Menard Series that celebrates a diverse schedule with races contested on all four types of tracks that the series visits the super speedway, short track, dirt tracks, and road courses. So Gibbs won both the super speedway races, uh, Kansas Speedway on May 1st, and the road course race at Mid-Ohio Sports Car on June 4th, ahead of this week's short track race at Winchester. So the last race for the uh, four crown will conclude with the dirt track race at DuPoint State Fairgrounds on September 5th. Whoops. All right. There, there you're talking about the, uh, the um, CGS Imaging Four Crown. Another one that we talk about the Arkham and Art Series and some of the things they do, and we've seen this in the past, these multiple championships within the main championship. You know, other titles these drivers are battling for. Yes. Yes. Um, and so there are quite a few drivers on the entry list. Uh, this weekend, and I think I think we've got time to go bottom up, Jay. If you've got that up, all right. Give me two. one second here. I think I got my internet going off of my phone. Hoping it'll hold. Okay, all right, I can so go we're ahead and get started. To... Okay, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Okay, uh, in the zero six is Zachary Tinkle from Seedway, Indiana. He'll be driving the GreatRailing.com Ford for Wayne Peterson with Wayne Peterson as his crew chief. In the O one is Owen Smith from Louisa, Virginia. The PedalingPump.com Ford for Hillenburg with Trey Galgon as his crew chief. The two up on the entry list by, from that uh, numerically, we got regulars. The 48, that's Brad Smith in the Brad Smith-owned uh, Chevrolet, Jeff Smith uh, as his crew chief. He's from Shelbyville Township in Michigan. And then coming out of Trinity, North Carolina, member of the Richard Petty family, Thad Moffitt. He's in the number 46, Clean Harbors Ford, owner Johnny Gray. And Derek Smith is his crew chief. Okay, then one of the ARCA drivers uh, in the regular ARCA Menard Series, Greg Van Alst, uh, is going to be in that number 35. Anderson, He's from Anderson, Illinois, for CB Fabricating Ford. Uh, he is the owner, and Donnie Richardson is going to be his crew chief. Mark Rett will be crew chiefing for his uh, number 30 Ford. Chris White will be behind the wheel from Wexton, Pennsylvania. Uh, for Wright Automotive. Well, we always like to see this uh, one-man show, if you will. It shows Alex Club as the driver as well as crew chief. I don't know if he'll actually have a different crew chief, but he'll be driving the number 27 Dave Richmond-owned Ford, sponsored by Latino Immigration and Legal Center, as well as A-Club Lawn Care. 
then there's one there's a article on the Arkham and Arts homepage. Check it out. Terry Brenninger, I'm sorry, Tony Brenninger, uh, driving a Venturini Toyota. Kevin Reed Jr. going to be the crew chief for the Triller Hair Club machine. And Tony coming out of Hillsboro, California. Okay. Chad Bryant is going to be the crew chief for GMS Racing's number 21, driven by Daniel Dye from Dillon, Florida. Uh, race Suicide Chevrolet. Uh, Shannon Rush is the crew chief for the number 20 Venturini uh, car, Toyota. And Corey Heim from Marietta, Georgia, will, Georgia will be behind the wheel with his Craftsman Toyota. Well, it doesn't seem to matter if it's on the track or just on the entry list. When we talk about one, you got to talk about the other. The 18 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota driver is Ty Gibbs out of Huntersville, North Carolina. And he'll have Mark McFarland in his ear as the crew chief. And then one we've talked a little bit about, Taylor Gray uh, in the number 17 DGR Ford owned by David Gillen. Chad Johnston, the crew chief on that Ford, with Ripper Coffee as the sponsor. Okay. Then uh, the number 15. For Venturini Motorsports is Parker Chase from New Braunfels, Texas. Uh, and he'll be driving their Toyota with Kevin Reed on top of the pit box. Dick Dohaney will be on the pit box for a Hillenburg number 12, driven by D.L. Wilson from Martin, Texas, the Wilson Classic Metals Chevrolet. All right, the number 11, that's going to be driver Tony Cosentino out of Mansfield, Pennsylvania. And that's in an Andy Hillenberg Golden Toyota, fast track, high-performance driving as the sponsor. Steve Barton as the crew chief. And another Hillenberg Toyota, this one, the number 10. Mike Schroof is the crew chief for Brandon Varney, which comes out of Richmond, Michigan. And they got Vans Tire Center DTS as well as Colwell Banker Pros on that Toyota. Okay, and our last driver is Nick Sanchez in the number two for Rev Racing. He hails from Miami, Florida. Uh, he'll be driving that number two Chevrolet. Uh, and Steve Plattenberger is his crew chief. So there you have it for the Arkham and Art Series and all of those uh, points that are on the line for three different series uh, in this particular race. So definitely one uh, to be watching for uh, this weekend on Saturday. Uh, both of those, both the Arca Menard Series and the Arca West will be racing on Saturday. So a full day of racing for Arca for sure. Okay, next we're going to go to the um, Truck Series. And what they're up to, <laughs> uh, their next race is going to be the Go Bowling at the Glen uh, at Watkins Glen International. They'll be racing on Sunday. Oh, that's the cup news. I wanted the truck news. <laughs> let me, okay, let me re restate all of that. The next race for the truck is the United Rentals 176 at the Glen at 12.30 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, August the 7th. The green flag will wave at 12.42 p.m. Eastern, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1, 
with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Uh, there are going to be uh, three, sta- three stages uh, ending at lap 20, lap 45, and lap 72, and they'll be racing a distance of 176.4 miles. So these guys last raced at Knoxville Raceway, gosh, that seems so long ago. Uh, and just to kind of keep everybody in the loop, uh, let's go ahead and give the driver's points for this truck series, and then we'll cover some of the news for the truck series that's come out since then. All right, and you mentioned it's a huge race for the truck series as it's their final event prior to their playoff uh, starting. So John Hunter Nemechek leading the way. He's your points leader. Uh, leading the way in a lot of categories, five wins, nine stage wins, a total of 34 playoff points. Sitting real pretty, he has already locked up the regular season championship. Now from there we got Ben Rhodes. He's 85 points back, but they're going to reset after this race. So two race wins and one stage wins gives him 11 playoff points. Austin Hill now with the win uh, has five playoff points. Todd Gilliland, one win, but he's got two stage point, uh, wins, so he's got seven playoff points in the bank. Zane Smith, no wins, but three stage wins, so that gives him three points. Sixth place is Matt Crafton, got a zero, zero, and zero, so he's going to drop down a little bit when they reseed. Sheldon Creed has a one, one win and one stage win, one race win and one stage win, total of six playoff points. Right now in eighth place is Grant Enfinger, but he is not eligible for the playoffs, so Carson Horsevar gets bumped up, and he's got no race wins or stage wins. Stuart Friesen in the same boat was your 10th place, but with that bumping out of Enfinger, Chandler Smith is going to right now in that final spot at 351 points. He's got one stage win for one playoff point. Now... Then it's Derek Krause that is 40 points back. That could possibly be done in one race, but it'd be really tough. Uh, behind him, Johnny Sauter, or I'm sorry, Tyler Ankrum at 307. Johnny, Johnny Sauter at 300. Uh, those two, I think you're pretty much looking at uh, a win, or uh, if not, second place finishing and, and uh, Chandler Smith finishing dead last, because uh, you're talking 51 points there at 60 points per race. So that would be tough to make up on points. You're talking about needing a race win in this final race. And then you got Austin Wayne Self, Ryan Truix, Haley Deegan, Tanner Gray, Chase Purdy, and Kate Fogelman, who are still eligible as those are your top 20 in points. So a win would push them up uh, and be eligible. But it's going to take that race win there at Watkins Glen. Without a doubt, these guys uh, these guys are going to need a win if they want to get in uh, this truck series playoffs. There's only ten drivers eligible, and the last race <laughs> come, is coming up at Watkins Glen International. So uh, again, we've got to wait one more week for that race, but it's going to be a big one uh, and one not to be missed. Again, that race is going to be on Saturday, August the seventh. Uh, in the afternoon at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. So mark your calendars for this final race of the regular season. Okay, now let's uh, let's hit on some of the news stories 
Uh, we've got about three minutes to add a few news stories here, Jay. Caleb right. Ray is expected to run a partial schedule in the truck series next year. Uh, so he missed quite a bit of time this year because of the uh, street race uh, injury that he had. Uh, so Ken Gray has big plans for both ARCA and NASCAR with David Gilliland racing. And he's going to, again, run a part-time schedule in the Camping World Truck Series next season and compete part-time in ARCA uh, in full-time in the ARCA Menard Series East. So uh, we'll see a lot more of Taylor Gray next season. Yeah, it would have been kind of interesting had he been able to run the the full amount of races he was scheduled this year on that partial schedule of whether or not next year would have been more full-time opportunities. I think being that you mentioned he was in a, in a streetcar accident, missed some time. They wanted to get him those partial schedules to get his feet under him, and they're kind of pushing that back to next year. We don't know if that would have developed into full-time or not had he run this year, but uh, still getting that opportunity. So look forward to more things from Taylor Gray and DGR. Okay. Also, we've got a couple of drivers expecting babies. Uh, on Sunday morning, Brett Moffat announced that he and his wife Stephanie are expecting their first child in February. And then Austin and Ashlyn Hill, social media on Friday evening, said he and his wife Ashlyn are expecting their third child in January. So uh, it's a baby boom in the truck series. Well, we got a couple of more of those in the other series, too, I think. So uh, I don't know what they're drinking there as mm-hmm. they're traveling around the circuit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so one other uh, bit of news here real quick. The Rayum Brothers Racing is launching a new development uh, program for drivers. So uh, that's kind of pretty good news. They signed uh, Stephen Malozzi and Jonathan Cuevas to the organization's inaugural driver development program. Uh, So they have a passion for discovering talent and affording young drivers the chance to master their craft. So that's what this driver development program is going to help them with. So that's good news for Rayon Brothers. Well, and one last one here before we switch over to the Xfinity series, and I don't think we talked about this one as a group yet, uh, Sheldon Creed hopes this is his last season in the trucks. He's got his eyes on Xfinity yeah. Series. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and uh, find that one and put it up in the uh, Hot Topics list for us. Okay. That sounds good. Okay. Let's move over to the Xfinity Series because uh, they also are on this two-week break uh, for the Olympics this week. Uh, so they will not be racing this weekend, but their next race is also at Watkins Glen International. Uh, they'll be racing at 4 p.m. on Sunday, August, Saturday, I'm sorry, Saturday, August the 7th. And their race, uh, make sure you mark this down because people are going to be looking for the Xfinity Series race. It is on CNBC. Uh, on Saturday, August the 7th at 4 p.m. Radio coverage is also going to be available on MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR radio. So, again, this is going to be a big race. Uh, They still have a few more races left in the Xfinity Series, 
but drivers are already, it's already getting pretty intense with these drivers contesting um, to be part of the 12 drivers that will be in the playoffs for the Xfinity Series. And I'm trying to slide down here so we can review the points. Uh, where is Watkins Glen? Okay, so let me pull up the driver points there yeah, as we we'll head into Watkins Glen. And then we'll also, their last race was uh, at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. But, uh, again, uh, we'll, we'll remind everybody what the points are, and then we'll give you some of the news updates of what's happening in the Xfinity Series since then. Well, here we kind of again got one dominant driver with four race wins out of the 19 starts and seven stage wins for a total this time of 27 playoff points, and that's Austin Sindrick in that Penske number 22. Uh, Now, we know he's moving up to full-time cup next year. The gap isn't quite as big, though. Almendinger's got two wins, five stage wins, going to have 15 uh, playoff points. Daniel Hemrick, no race wins. But five stage wins, he's got five points in the bank. Justin Algar, he's got two race wins and a stage win. He's got 11 right now. Harrison Burton, two stage wins for two playoff points. Jeb Burton, one race win for five playoff points. And that's half the field there as we got six. Seventh place, Justin Haley, just has the three stage wins for three points. Noah Gregson, two stage wins for two points. Brandon Jones, one. And then Jeremy Clements in 10th doesn't have any of the above. Now, in the Xfinity Series, the playoff uh, cut line here is a little bit different. We're expecting Mike Lynette. He's currently 11th in points at 450 points. No race wins, no stage wins, so no playoff points built up yet. Myatt Schneider's in 12th. One race win for five playoff points does lock him in. So Mike Lynette was at 450. 13th, Riley Herbst is at 418. So 32 point difference there because if they leap over Myatt Schneider, he's going to bring it right back in with that race win. Then you have Brandon Brown is in 14th at 409. Uh, Then we have Josh Berry who's got 397 but is not eligible for the playoffs. Ryan Sieg's at 375. Ty Gibbs, another one not eligible for the playoffs, has 330. Get down to Alex LeBay, Tommy Joe Martin, Landon Castle, rounding out your top 20. Uh, even with what, I think they have five or six races remaining, that group there is going to need a, a race win. Brandon Brown and Riley Herbst could still possibly point their way in, especially we got to wait and see if Michael Annette is able to return to the car here at Watkins Glen. I know that was their plan moving forward. Yes, he has been granted that waiver. Uh, if he can stay in that top 12, he'll be able to uh, participate in the playoffs. Uh, but that's going to be a tall challenge for him uh, when he comes back. And he, like uh, Jay mentioned, he's hoping to come back at Watkins Glen. So uh, definitely keep your eye out for any news in that regard. Okay, so uh, let's talk about some of the news here in the Xfinity series. Um, hold on, I'm having a hard time getting to the page. Okay, there, there's some, there is some news here. 
Uh, Myatt Snyder uh, is helping uh, that his team will uh, improve. There's a nice article here by Dustin Albino uh, that talks about uh, how how much he believes uh, that his team will improve as they close out the season. Uh, so Martin's Motorsports is also going to run multiple drivers for the 2022 Xfinity Series. So that's good news too, Jay. It is, and we, we've talked a little bit about this, uh, of certain drivers uh, moving up to the Cup Series, whether they get replaced in those teams or those teams kind of uh, maybe go, not go away but aren't used to run on a regular basis. These other teams are looking at it as an opportunity to capitalize, and I think that's why you're seeing Tommy Joe Martins. Uh, he's going to try and put multiple uh, – oh, I'm sorry, that says multiple drivers driving the 45. I'm sorry, I thought I misread that. I thought he was going to run multiple teams, but he's going to run multiple drivers in the number 44 Chevrolet. That right, ought to be interesting right. to see. Who, That's what I right, was just reading to make sure I read it right. Yeah. It's multiple drivers in the number 44. Okay. Well, and we, so, that's, yeah. that's also very very good for the sport, though, because we do get to see then uh, drivers get their first start or a little bit of experience. Yes, yes, indeed. Okay, also, Sage Karam is going to be racing uh, for Jordan Anderson Racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course. So uh, 26-year-old Sage Karam will make his Xfinity Series debut driving the number 31 Chevrolet Camaro SS in the Pennzoil 150 at the Brickyard on August the 14th, thing to look forward to. He normally runs uh, in other series, uh, specifically the IndyCar series. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he does uh, here in NASCAR. He's also raced in IMSO and the American Rallycross. i got to say, I'm just overall really, really impressed with Jordan Anderson racing. Uh, if you're not familiar with his mm-hmm. story, he is one that – I mean, struggles week in and week out just to get to the track and put his truck on track. This year he said he was moving to the Xfinity Series due to the qualifying procedure and the matrix system. Didn't make the show at Daytona and got kind of got behind. But they have put some top drivers in the cars. Uh, I know Josh Berry, Austin Dillon. I'm trying to think who else has run for him. Got them some good finishes. Got them some points they needed to get involved into that metric system. And now we see another one, a road coursing race expert to run the Indianapolis road course for him. As a team, this is great. I know Jordan Anderson was looking to drive himself and run for the the whole season, but made the best out of the situation he got put in and being successful at it. Yes, yes. That's very exciting to see happen. Okay, so uh, another news story here real quick. Josh Berry is going to return to his racing roots during the Olympic break. Uh, he will be racing the late in the model program for junior motorsports. Uh, he will have the number eight all things automotive eye racing Chevrolet on track uh, last Saturday at Langley Speedway for the 13th annual Hampton Heat. That was a 200-lap late model stock car event that ranks as one of the major midsummer events 
in the discipline. He'll follow that up this weekend with a return to the Cars Tour at Hickory Motor Speedway for the annual Throwback 276, a race that he won in 2018. So he's pretty excited about uh, being available these two weeks in order to participate in those races. Well, and we know why he got his victory there on a short track. We saw it again as he went back to, you said, his roots. Uh, Junior Motorsports, a late model team, picking up victories, uh, winning. I mean, that's what he's used to. And can't wait to see what happens with him next year. If he can find a full-time ride, he's another one. Bouncing around between a couple of rides, filled in in different spots. One being for Michael Annette, one of the races that he missed uh, with his injury. Uh, we know the talent. We just got to see where he falls uh, with the team for next year. Yes, indeed. Uh, we mentioned it last week, but it's worth mentioning again. Junior Motorsports employee Tyler Page uh, is out in Tokyo competing uh, in the Olympics. Uh, he will compete for America Samoa in the double-handed sailing event. So uh, pretty cool to have somebody from Junior Motorsports participating in in the Olympics uh, these two weeks. That's one of those where I know a lot of people feel that maybe uh, racing in in general doesn't contain any athletes, and uh, that's right there tells you that it does. <laughs> exactly right. Okay, we're going to move on now to the Cup Series. Uh, their last race was the Foxwood Resorts Casino 301 at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Uh, their next race is going to be the Go Bowling at the Glen uh, at Watkins Glen International at 3 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, August the 8th. They will race a distance of 220.5 miles over 90 laps, and uh, the stages will be 20, 40, and 90. Uh, you'll find that race on NBC Sports Network on August the 8th and the radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM uh, NASCAR radio. Now, there is no practice and no qualifying for this race, so that's kind of interesting, too. Uh, but let's take a look at the driver's points here in the Cup Series, Jay. Let me guess. You're going to let me try and explain all the things that are going on here with the Cup Series point <laughs> standings. <laughs> It is amazing what's happening this year in the Cup Series for 16 spots. There are, yeah, there are a lot of different scenarios that could play out, but we'll talk about the point standings as it is right now. Denny Hamlin is the leader by 13 points. Does not have a race win, but five stage wins, five playoff points. If he stays the points leader through race number 26, four more races, he would lock himself into the playoffs based on that. If he picks up a win, he would also then lock himself in. Uh, if not, it is possible yet that he could get bumped out of the playoffs. Now, the one to be do that would factor into that, Kyle Larson. He's picked up four wins and closed that points gap down to 13 points. He's also got a total of 12 stage, wow, 12 stage wins, a total of 32 playoff points. As the points are right now, the next back then is 125 points. That tells you how these two have separated themselves. Uh, William Byron, he's got a race win, three stage wins, total of eight playoff points. Kyle Busch went on a little bit of a heater, two race wins and four stage wins for 14 playoff points. 
Chase Elliott, uh, two, two race wins, but only one stage win. Gives him 11 playoff points. Joe Logano's got one race win, three stage wins. Puts him at eight. Believe this is the second highest playoff points. Uh, that's no surprise. Martin Truex, three race wins and four stage wins for a total of 19 playoff points. Uh, Ryan Blaney is the mid-pack guy. He's in eighth. One race win, four stage wins, nine playoff points. Brad Keselowski, one race win, two stage wins for a total of seven. Kevin Harvick, another one, zeros across the board, if you can believe that, and he's in 10th spot. Right now he's at 673 points. That could come into play here as we get further down the list. 11th is Alex Bowman. He's got three wins. Uh, for a total of 15 playoff points built up. Tyler Reddick is currently in 12th at 596 points, one stage win for one playoff point. Austin Dillon in 13th, 591 points, five behind his teammate. Uh, No race wins, no stage wins, is actually right now out of the playoffs, even in 13th, and I'll explain that as I get further down the list. 14th is Kurt Busch, one win, uh, one race win, three stage wins, eight playoff points. 15th, Christopher Bell, uh, one race win for five points. 15th, which would normally be the cutoff line, is Chris Busher of 475 points. What has one stage win for a playoff point if he gets into the playoffs. Matt DiBenedetto, where is... Okay, yeah, well, here we go. Okay, so Busher would, would normally be in based on the cut line. Uh, you got to drop down. Michael McDowell is 19th in points but has a race win. That puts him in. So that would bump uh, 15th place Christopher Bell out. Mentioned Austin Dillon in 13th. This past weekend, as Sharon mentioned, at New Hampshire, Eric Almarola picked up a win. Jay. He is up to. Jay. Yeah. Jay. If I can correct you for a minute, it doesn't bump Christopher Bell out. It would bump Chris Busher out. Oh, did I say Bell? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's Chris Busher that the first one to get bumped out. Yeah, if I said Bell, I'm, that was my mistake. Bell is locked in with his win. Um, Eric Almarola climbed to 23rd in points and has a race win. He gets to jump in, which would then push Austin Dillon out. And here's where we get into the interesting scenarios. If another driver outside of the top 16 gets a race win and gets, that would put Tyler Reddick out and put Kevin Harvick on the bubble, uh, believe it or not. And he's sitting right now, I said, in 10th uh, place. So one, one new winner outside the top uh, 16, real interesting. Two, and we're going to have us a dogfight because that could technically put Denny Hamlin, who's your points leader right now, but no wins. If he doesn't keep that points lead, he doesn't have a win to fall back on. He could be on the bubble. Exactly. And, you know, it's very possible that Kyle Larson could get another win in these next four races. There's only four more races in the uh, Cup Series regular season. So it's possible that we've already bumped out Austin Dillon. Uh, So Tyler Reddick, Kevin Harvick, and Denny Hamlin could all be bumped out in these next four races, believe it or not. 
And I know they talked about it on Race Hub yet again. Last year, nine wins for Kevin Harvick, eight races for uh, Denny Hamlin. Between the two of them, that was uh, half, half of uh, almost half of the wins between the two those two drivers. And here we are, 22 races into this year, and neither one of them have a victory yet. Yes, it's just incredible. Uh, and three drivers uh, are above the cut line right now with no wins. Uh, if if a different driver, if somebody outside the cut line wins, like Eric Almarola did, that's going to put <laughs> uh, Tyler Reddick out. Or... Kevin Harvick, or <laughs> if it happens three times in the next four races, uh, it could put all three of those drivers out. So uh, it's, it's really amazing that we're at this point. It's also possible, Jay, that Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, or Tyler Reddick could come up with a victory themselves. Uh, but uh, and what they're looking for, they want either somebody who's already won to win because that's going to keep them in the going here, or they don't want to see somebody below that cut line get a win, because that definitely is going to drop one of them out. And a lot has to do Uh, with how they finish in the race. They're hoping not to have a bad day. Most certainly. And to tie that in, too, talk about the races we got coming. Watkins Glen, a road course. We know some of those drivers, uh, just to throw a couple out there, DiBenedetto, Ross Chastain, and uh, Daniel Suarez. The Indy road course, new road course, uh, certainly going to be, could be interesting. And then we end the regular season at Daytona, which is a total wild card, always has been. And that was the final race that somebody could jump in. Uh, I don't know what more you could ask for as far as excitement or possibilities. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot to look forward to in this Cup Series. Uh, for these next four races. Uh, Do you have the schedule there, Jay, that you could kind of let everybody know what the next four races are? It should be in that order, I believe. Watkins Glen, the Indianapolis Road Course, Michigan, and then Daytona. I believe the two road courses were back-to-back. If not, it's Michigan, then the Indy. But I think it's Indy, then Michigan. I think you're right. Uh, Daytona is definitely the last race before the uh, playoffs begin. And, uh, again, these guys, uh, they don't want to leave it to Daytona. They want to get their win in uh, before that Daytona race because, as we all know, uh, and and you've mentioned it already, Jay, anything can happen at Daytona. And that's where uh, they're really going to run the risk of having somebody perhaps outside of the top 16 come up with a victory so this is going to be huge yeah and 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 after that i mean again that being the regular season finale you got no options if you get pushed out there you are out there is no getting back in (laughs) that's true Uh, unless you can get a win but not after they after daytona it's all said and done Okay, we are at 8.30 or 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That means it's time for our NASCAR Hot Topics Sound Off. And joining us for tonight's Hot Topics, uh, I think it's just going to be the three of us, Jay, uh, is uh, Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Michael. It's been an awesome month, but hello! 
how's everybody doing tonight? We're doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing real good. It's good to be back. Uh, it's been a long month of vacation and work, so now I had to get back to the house, and here we are. Yes, indeed. I know. Uh, it seems like this month has just been crazy busy for me as well. Okay, so, uh, Mike, why don't you kick off our hot topics for tonight? Well, here's a disadvantage of being out of the loop here. I'm not sure what you guys have talked about. Uh, did you discuss the, te- the penalty that HMS got? Uh, last late last week. I don't remember if that was before or after the last show y'all did. Uh, I believe we did. <laughs> Didn't we, Jay? Well, we did, we did, but I would love to hear Mike's point so I can say how he's wrong. We missed you, Mike. <laughs> okay. I'm sure you did, Jay. I'm sure you did. Um, well, it, it got made a big deal of because it is an L1 penalty. It was a pretty significant points penalty. And, of course, if you look at any kind of NASCAR-related social media, Twitter, Reddit, I'm sure Facebook was the same way. Uh, oh, well, they, they caught him this time. Hendrick Motorsports has been cheating, and they finally got him. But then you look at what the penalty is, and I don't know that any reasonable person could say that Hendrick Motorsports got any kind of a competitive advantage over the over the rest of the teams, and it certainly wasn't the source of the speed that we've seen from Hendrick Motorsports this year. My understanding of the way the penalty was explained is it was more or less an administrative error, and had that engine not been part of a winning race car, it was the engine from the, uh, the Road America winning nine car that ended up in the 48. If that wasn't a race winning engine, it wouldn't have been a penalty at all. So I don't think that this was NASCAR catching Hendrick Motorsports and, and I don't think it's going to set them back at all for the rest of the season. Um, but I don't know. Am I wrong, Jay? What do you think? Well, let me ask you this. Okay. Had it been a team other than Hendrick Motorsports, would you believe that it was an administrative error? That's where we kind of put the, put the focus on. This is a top-notch organization going for championships. Um, that they made a mistake like that by putting the wrong engine in the wrong car. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's not a mistake. That's a mistake I might make at a shop or something, but not a top organization like Hendricks. So that's where the issue comes in. And second, whether or not the penalty, although an L1 really hurt the teams, being that once the playoffs starts, they really don't lose a whole lot. And that, too, was kind of a focus of what we thought NASCAR should do as far as the, the penalty should affect the playoffs if they're in or possibly remove them from the playoffs. Well, okay. you bring up a good point. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Sharon. Let, let, let's get you in on this. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I, I kind of feel like the, oh, it was just an organizational error uh, explanation that Hendrick Motorsports gave was kind of, I don't want to say tongue-in-cheek, but it was kind of an explanation because they're certainly not going to stand up and say, oh, yeah, we did that on purpose. Um so I, I do think that uh, there was a competitive advantage or NASCAR would not have had given them any penalty. Uh, so if it hadn't been a winning engine, they probably, there, nothing would have been said. But it was a winning engine. They gave it to another team. And whether it was a mistake or not, it still gave that team a, a competitive advantage, having a winning engine in their car. So uh, I do think 
that uh, NASCAR needs to come down a little bit heavier on some of these rules because there really is nothing gained or lost uh, with the uh, with the uh, suspensions that they gave out or the points that they took away. Uh, they're still going to be in the playoffs, uh, and and so no 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 pain no gain uh, for those guys. Uh, so yeah, I agree with Jay. I think there has to be something a little bit more. Uh, that goes on with these penalties in order to make the statement that this is a no-no and you're not going to get by with it on an ongoing basis. Uh, Whoops, we we had an administrative error. Well, there's a couple things to unpack. Yeah, there's a a couple things to unpack on that. Um, You're right. A top-level organization like that, you wouldn't expect them to make an honest mistake if that indeed was a mistake. That's a pretty big one on their part. They may very well have been dipping a toe in the water just to see how hot the water was, and I guess NASCAR Mm -hmm. wanted to burn that toe a little bit. Um, Now, you say there's no playoff penalty at all. Well, I kind of disagree with you on that. Um, Yes, you're right. They were only docked regular season points. They didn't lose any playoff points. But remember, Chase Elliott is sitting around fourth place or so in the season point standings. That means he's in the running. It's, it's, It's unlikely, just given the way he's been running relative to the people above him, he's in the running for the regular season points championship. And even if he doesn't win the points championship, he's at least in the running to get some playoff points that are awarded based on your finishing position in the regular season standings. So losing those 25 points in regular season points does put Chase Elliott at a bit of a disadvantage in that he could end up losing out on playoff points when those are awarded after the Daytona race because those 25 regular season points that uh, that the nine team lost could drop him a position or two in those final regular season point standings. Alex Bowman, he's had a more of an – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead and finish your thought. Yeah, Alex Bowman, he's had more of an up-and-down season. He's not as high up in the regular season point standings as Elliott is. Obviously, with the three wins, he's a lock for the playoffs. But in terms of getting any additional playoff points from regular season points finish, I don't think Alex Bowman's in that running. Now, with regard to the competitive advantage for the rules, my understanding is the reason that rule came to be is to cut down on team engine usage. You know, it used to be that the teams had kind of an unlimited budget for engines. They could use them one engine per race, every race, every, uh, every weekend, or maybe multiples if they blow them up. And NASCAR wanted to go to these sealed engine blocks just to cut down on the teams spending ungodly amounts of money on engines. And going to those sealed serialized engine blocks is a, a cost savings or cost control move on NASCAR's part. And that's where the moving one engine from one team to another became an issue. Not so much that that engine had any sort of illegal competitive advantage to it. It's more so that it broke NASCAR's attempt to control the number of engines in circulation to reduce the overall cost to these teams. Okay, Jay, I'll let you follow up. To, to what Mike said, I believe Chase Elliott dropped two positions in the point standings, which then, being that he's not in contention, and I know you're uh, hopeful there, uh, Mike, but he's right now 138 points. You give him those 25 points back, he was 113 points out anyway from Denny Hamlin to close up in four races. In order to close that kind of gap in four races, you'd have to go on a streak like his teammate Kyle, Kyle Larson did of winning races and finishing second. 
Um, and that would be to close that gap and Denny Hamlin have some off, off days, which hasn't happened a whole lot. So when that comes to playoff points with where he's at, you're talking two points. Yes, points matter, but it was only two playoff points. You're saying it's an L1 penalty. We're taking away 25 regular season points. But when it comes to the playoffs, you're only losing two. I mean, that's a matter of two mm-hmm. positions on the track. That's really not a significant penalty. Well, Alex Bowman didn't move at all as far as where he's in the rankings, so he would sit the same. I understand what you're saying as far as the engine itself wasn't a competitive advantage. You're right. The engine was legal. No matter whose car it was in, the engine was legal. There was no competitive advantage of that. But if it were done intentionally and it were done to spread the motors around amongst different teams, not every team has that advantage and other teams are following the rules and repeatedly using the engines they're supposed to as NASCAR has set forth. So it is because it's a bigger organization. A one-car team can't make that administrative error and put somebody else's engine in their car. Exactly. Exactly. You said all the things that I would have said uh, with regard to that because, it, you know, if you really look at it, uh, it was a slap on the hand for these guys. Uh, and like you said, if they were testing the water and they found out that NASCAR was going to slap them on the hand for it, uh, you know, is it worth taking that risk again at some point in the future? I'd say at this point, sure it is. <laughs> there, there wasn't that much loss. Uh, they're still in the playoffs. Uh, Chase Elliott lost a couple spots. Alex Bowman didn't lose any spots. Uh, so, you know, they're really – uh, that slap on the hand might be worth uh, whatever they have to pay uh, if uh, they find a way to get, make it a competitive advantage uh, by using that winning motor in another car. Because to Jay's point, you can't do that in a one-car operation. Uh, so I, I just think that uh, NASCAR needs to be a little heavier-handed when it comes to this type of penalty, especially for these larger organizations, uh, because they, they've got the money to take that risk versus reward, and they, they definitely didn't lose anything on this, as far as I'm concerned. Mike, you get the follow-up. Yeah, I mean, you guys have some good points about what is going to be the, the, the penalty should they look at putting in a playoff-relevant penalty during the regular season, i.e. docking a team playoff points, even though the infraction didn't happen in the playoffs. Right now, there's no provision in the NASCAR rulebook, at least nothing that I know, that allows for that. And the penalty schedule, you know, L1, L2, et cetera, is very specific about how penalties are uh, awarded. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, how penalties are given out received. and what those penalties receive. That's a, that's a better word. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's immediately after the first race of the season or the last race of the regular season, the, the penalty schedule in the rule book is very clear and it's very consistent. And I think that's an advantage of it. I don't think there should be consideration for, Oh, well, this team is in the running for the playoffs and now we need to, invent some penalty that's more relevant for that team because that kind of opens a Pandora's box of subjectivity and unfairness that 
I don't, I don't think that's in the, the best direction that they should go. So it could end up in a situation like this where you have a penalty that, that is given out that is relevant and in accordance with the rule book. But when you look at what the real world effect of it is, like you all said, it might not be the worst, most devastating penalty that a team could receive versus if they've gotten the exact same penalty, loss of 25 points going into Darlington in the playoffs, well, that's a much bigger penalty, even though it's the exact same point total for the exact same infraction. It is what it is. If they want to change the rule book, that's their prerogative. But I like the consistency, and I like that it's, it's very clear and unambiguous in terms of how a penalty is uh, is scored in terms of what, what points are lost and whatnot, and I don't think that should change, at least not in the middle of a season like this. Okay. Jay, you get to bring Sharon, up the next Sharon, topic. Sharon, yeah, Jay. Sharon, I've, I've, missed, I've missed chatting with Mike. May I have one more turn here on, the, uh, on this topic? Sure, sure. Go ahead. All right. I mean, I wanted to say it too, but I didn't because we were at the end. But go ahead. That based on what you're saying, Mike, because it's the way the rules are, you would be okay with a driver winning the Daytona 500 and then get caught cheating every race up until the playoff start, and that would be okay that they still get to get into the playoff based on that first win. Well, theoretically, if they got caught cheating and disqualified from every race, they wouldn't be in the top 30 now, would they? You still get that one point, and the win locks you in. I mean, that okay, so all but five. Do you understand my point? You're saying it's acceptable mm-hmm. to cheat after you get that first win that locks you into the playoffs because nothing's <laughs> going to take that away. And that's where we don't see, it, see that as right and, and what we want to see. There's got to be some penalty going into the playoffs for it uh, that, that has that effect uh, of – it's not just going to cost you now in your seating or whatever. It's going to cost you harshly. In other words, now that we've locked our drivers into the playoffs, let's play around with these engines and see how this works with different drivers and do some testing and cheating a little bit. <laughs> and, and if we get caught, it's not going to affect us. So it's worth the risk. Well, ain't that the way the rule book's written? Well, and that's what we're saying. It needs to be looked at. <laughs> there, there needs to be a change there in, in how that's written. So, okay, Jay, go ahead and... Um, All right, well, we came across this one as we were doing our uh, preview uh, and news. Sheldon Creed says uh, he's pretty much ready to move on from the truck series another championship or not, that he's, he feels he's done his time and wants to move on to the Xfinity Series. Okay, Mike? Well, that's great. However, who's going to write the check? That's the big question mark. Last I saw, week in and week out, Sheldon Creed has been driving a bare white number two truck in the truck series um, with no sponsorship in sight. And it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of people knocking down the door to write the check for him. So he can want to run the Xfinity series all he wants, but unfortunately if the money's not there and the money's not there and it's, you know, I don't know that there's anybody knocking down the door to hire Sheldon Creed to drive their race car. Maybe they are, and we haven't seen it, but I haven't heard his name kicked around a whole lot uh, by anybody other than Sheldon Creed for moving into an Xfinity series ride. 
Okay. Uh, I I think whatever he's doing this year, he's going to continue doing that. Uh, and I agree that at some point the money's going to run dry uh, unless he starts winning races and bringing in sponsorship. So um, the way this is phrased is Sheldon Creed hoped that this is his last season in trucks, that he's eyeing the Xfinity Series. So I've got to think that he is looking into um, uh, what he can do for sponsorship as well. Um, he says, although he'd love to drive Cup with GMS Racing, he says Xfinity is where he is focused on securing a deal for next season. So um, he definitely does not want to do another year in the Truck Series or become a lifer, as he puts it, in the Truck Series. So he's wanting to make that move up, uh, and he's, he, he is going to need sponsorship. Uh, but I think that he, there's uh, money in the till uh, to take him to Xfinity if that's what he wants to do. Jay? Yeah, I, I, there's a couple of things here. I like the confidence that he has in himself. We, we've heard it before when he said he wasn't ex- going to accept or the team wasn't going to accept less than less sponsorship money than what they felt the team was worthy of and based on their performance has proven to be. Uh, that That as well then – of moving up into the Xfinity series or the cup. We've talked about it before. Some drivers have sponsorship, but maybe not as much talent that these ones with talent should be the ones to move up. And I think in Sheldon Creed's case, I think this is a valid uh, course of action. Uh, When you talk about the truck series, when it is a white solid white truck, to the best of my knowledge, it is the team owner, uh, Mari Gallagher with, uh, what is it? Allegiant Airlines, I think, is the company. Uh, we don't necessarily mm-hmm. see that sponsorship on it like we do with HendrickCars.com, but that's the money behind it. And I know they cut back on their Xfinity series or stopped it altogether, actually. Even when we heard they were possibly moving up to Cup a few years back, uh, I think that maybe if it's not with them, that that may be where some of the money comes from because I think GMS has has the uh, faith in Sheldon Creed, and they've already kind of lost one driver that I think was maybe in their game plan in Sam Maris. He signed with Junior Motorsports, so they need that driver if they want to move into the Xfinity and or then the Cup, um, that they need to make sure they keep a talented driver uh, if they're the ones paying the bills anyway. Good point. Okay, Mike. Well, Jay kind of alluded to it where Sheldon Creed is, he's almost been his own worst enemy a, a couple times, you know, foot in the mouth kind of things. Uh, I, I think back to that little spat he had on Twitter with Marcus Lemonis a couple months ago. And yeah, I get that he was, he was defending the, the perceived value of the team, but that's one of those things that, if you didn't, you know, if you didn't know a couple layers deep into the onion of exactly what was going on, that looks like Sheldon Creed saying, "I'm too good for your money." Well, even if that's not what he meant to say, and there's a whole lot of rest of the story there, if that's the perception that a lot of people, especially people who have checks to write, get, that's not so good for a guy who's looking for sponsorship to move up to the Xfinity and eventually the Cup level. So, I don't know. I, like I said, I have not heard Sheldon Creed shortlisted for a lot of uh, Xfinity-level rides. And the difficult part for him is if GMS wants to hold on to him and they don't have an Xfinity Series program, 
are they going to loan him out to another team? If so, what team? I don't know that there's a whole lot of openings in the Xfinity series for a team that's, that's looking for a driver that they would loan out, especially not a driver that's not bringing a big paycheck uh, to, to sponsor the car with them. Cause I don't think Sheldon, unless something comes together by the end of the year, I don't think Sheldon Creed is going to be bringing a personal sponsor along with him, at least not one that's going to fund a season-long Xfinity campaign. So I don't know. I'm interested to see where this is going, but I, if I had to guess where it's going to go right now, I think it's going to end up in disappointment for Sheldon Creed, and he'll be back in the truck series next year whether he wants to or not. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Nobody really knows, um, you know. You got to be winning races if you want to get sponsorship. We all know that. Um, and, uh, you know, GMS is not in the Xfinity series. So for him to make that kind of a statement uh, just kind of is an indication to me that he's already got something on the line. Uh, if not with GMS racing, then with somebody else. So uh, whether or not that's true, I don't know. I don't have any inside information. I'm reading between the lines there, uh, but I don't think he would make a statement like that if he, if he didn't have something uh, kind of going for him. So we'll see what happens. Jay, you're, you get the last word. There, There is something to be said, uh, that line between, say, confidence and cocky or, you know, that, that's r- possibly yeah, that's rubbing true. some people the wrong wrong way. You're right, but he does back it up on on the track with wins and championships. Uh, So I think that is the biggest thing in his pocket is he proves he can do it. The interesting thing would to me would be is if he doesn't have his own sponsorship that that he's bringing along with him and GMS chooses not to go that route of Xfinity, teams such as JD Motorsports that maybe don't always uh, necessarily – demand the mm-hmm. driver driver sponsorship but to get in that car and if you are doing good with a team like that gets you noticed so would he be willing to go to a team like that to take that risk because we've also seen it uh really derail some drivers careers uh when they if they don't get race wins but i think back to say alex bowman he and matt de benedetto they've been through some rough rides but they showed the talent in cars or teams that weren't quite up to par and they're getting the best out of that equipment. The talent got noticed and eventually were able to move on. So I think that's kind of where Sheldon Creed might have to make that decision. Can he do that in an Xfinity team that would set him up down the road? Okay, Mike, you're up next. All right, so this one really surprised me. The big shocker news about a month ago was Trackhouse Racing purchasing Chip Ganassi's NASCAR operation. Well, come to find out this week, Justin Marks has said that he's open to expanding Trackhouse into an IndyCar operation as well. So is Trackhouse poised to become the next motorsports super team on par with Team Penske, Chip Ganassi Racing, and, of course, the Rick Ware Empire? Okay, Jay, what are your thoughts about that? Wow, I truthfully had not even seen that. Um, I think with what we've seen so so far, they, Trackhouse has proved that they can step into NASCAR without a charter. Uh, I'm sorry, they were leasing the charter. But a first-year team 
and be competitive. Uh, they weren't to the race winning yet, but that we saw some top five, top ten runs, which you don't see a lot of times with a first-year team. And I used Denny Hamlin's uh, and Michael Jordan's 2311, who's got Joe Gibbs resources, not even able to necessarily do that. So I like where they're going, and I think I've talked about a couple of teams that we've seen this with. Just be careful of not biting off more than you can chew at one time. And so if they believe they can do the IndyCar thing, I'm not saying they can't, and it wouldn't be a good idea. Uh, but I think getting that second car, if they're going to the, the two-car team, or they are now a two-car team as he bought out Ganassi, in NASCAR, maybe waiting another year or two and letting that settle and get solid before doing it. But I, I'm not on the inside there. They've shown that, you know, they're, they're capable of doing what they set out to do, so I wouldn't want to hold it against them either. Okay, yeah, I was trying to figure out where you got that information. The only thing that I found very quickly is, uh, in case you missed it, Justin Marks uh, joined Godfather Moody and said anything possible for the future of Team Trackhouse, including the Indianapolis 500. So that's one race that he's talking about there. I don't know if he's talking about uh, more than that. Um, and then there's another thing here, the debut of Trackhouse Colors in the World of Outlaws and the return of Shane Stewart in the Sprint Car's most prestigious race, the Knoxville Nationals. That was July 27th. So those are the only references that I see of them spreading their wings into other series. Is there something else where you've got more concrete information, uh, Mike? How about that? No, I'm not sure if you saw that. I, I sent the, the, the link that I sourced it from. And you're right, it is referencing the comments that he made on Dave Moody's radio show. And I didn't hear the interview directly. So let's consider this secondhand at best. Uh, I was just interested to see that with what I would assume is a very significant expenditure to, uh, to purchase Chip Ganassi, the track house is looking at doing anything other than fielding competitive NASCAR Cup Series cars. And the fact that they're looking into even just getting into the Indy 500 that's not just something you roll up to and, and, and buy a ticket and, and bring a car to the track with. That's a pretty significant investment in time, resources, et cetera, to field a car for that. So it's interesting to see how fast that team is, is growing, and hopefully it's, it's growing in the right direction for the future and not expanding too rapidly into an unsustainable territory. Okay. Uh, Jay? Yeah, if you're talking about doing a one race of the Indy 500, uh, again, no easy tasking, but that's certainly uh, more doable than an entire season or an entire team. Uh, and we know the money is there. Uh, I'm not sure how freely it is, but we've we've seen obviously that that Pitbull is is backing it, and they have a different mm-hmm. marketing strategy in how they're doing it, and has seemed to be successful so far. Uh, but and, and Mike agreed with this though of you got to be careful of, of expanding your reach too far too quickly and that's the only thing I worry about you know if we see them do the whole two car uh, NASCAR side next year and maybe just the Indy 500 I can see that as an experimental thing of uh, and I wish I had that kind of money to say try it if it don't work oh well it's a loss. Uh, I wish I had that kind of money to to say I'd try the Indy 500 one time and take it as a loss, but. 
Yeah, I agree. I think they do have to be careful about going too fast uh, too soon. But Justin marks the quote here that uh, is with this uh, tweet is Justin Marks saying, I don't think that there's any limit to how big our dreams can be around this country, a company. Uh, and that is how big our dreams can be. So dreaming about what can be and actually making that happen are two different things. But I will say that uh, uh, if they're talking about, you know, let's let's see what happens in IndyCar, I think that I would think if they brought out Chip Ganassi, um, uh, what do you call it, just the NASCAR portion of Chip Ganassi Racing, or did they buy some of the IndyCar assets as well? I don't know, uh, but it sounds to me like they're they're kind of reaching out on the one race, uh, one race at a time ventures here, and kind of testing the waters. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, I, I think that their focus is still going to be on track house racing in NASCAR as well. We've seen them have some success with Daniel Suarez. He, yeah, he doesn't have that win yet. But for a first-year team, he's had a lot of success, I think. And uh, uh, when you've got somebody like Pitbull uh, kind of behind this along with Justin Marks, I think you've got a powerhouse uh, in the making there with that combination. And who knows what other investments they're looking at from other investors uh, because that's a possibility as well. So if these guys have big dreams, they're going to need those big investors. And there's a lot that we don't know uh, that could be going on behind the scenes here as well. So uh, I'm all in favor of dreaming big. Uh, but Jay brings up a good point. You gotta, you gotta kind of temper it, uh, and not go too fast too soon, because uh, the, the house of cards can fall very quickly. Well, I mean, that's two hot topics in a row where we're talking about big dreams that may or may not come true. Sheldon Creed busting out of the truck series and now Trackhouse mm-hmm. Racing busting into the uh, Indy 500. So, yeah, I'm really interested to see where this is going. Obviously, Trackhouse is shaping up to be the hottest new story in nascar this year and, and and maybe branching out to be the hottest story in motorsports this year everyone was so focused on 2311 at the beginning of the season because of the, of the names associated with it but in terms mm-hmm. of performance and growth i think Trackhouse has really eclipsed 2311 at this point and i think they, they've shifted the focus now all eyes are on them and 2311 they're there they're not doing terrible but they're certainly not making the waves of track houses on and off the track okay uh, Jay, the next topic you want to hit? Well, how about we tie that in of uh, a certain champion that has gone over to IndyCar. Now, my understanding was, and I'm going to say it like this, if it's wrong, I'm wrong, but I thought his wife wasn't letting him do oval tracks, only road courses, but Jimmy Johnson is testing an uh, oval for IndyCar and possibly looking at an Indy 500 run. Yeah, that's interesting. Mike, your thoughts? The only surprise here is that Jimmy Johnson didn't try and run the Indy 500 this year. I knew that that big of a, of a prize and a prestigious crown jewel like that, I don't think that there, I didn't think there was a chance that Jimmy Johnson would touch an Indy car and not 
at least try to get into the Indy 500 at least once. Given his performance so far in IndyCar, I don't know that he's going to join Mario Andretti as the guy who has won the Daytona 500 and the Indy 500. But there's something to be said about being the guy who started both races, and there's not a whole, that's not a very long list as it is. So it doesn't surprise me at all that Jimmy Johnson is looking into getting into the Indy 500 next year. I hope he does. I hope he does extremely well. I, I hope he figures out something in the IndyCar this year because it's been really rough. Um, I, I, I'm kind of a Jimmy Johnson fan, and I've been watching him in the IndyCar and, man, that guy, has been, he's just been a rolling caution clock this year, which really, really sucks to watch. Okay. Yeah, just to kind of provide some further clarification here, uh, he's, uh, on Tuesday, he confirmed on Tuesday that his first oval test in an IndyCar will likely take place at Homestead Miami Speedway sometime in August. Now, that will be the next step for the champion uh, potentially running uh, the Indianapolis 500 next year. But along with that, uh, he said depending on the test, on how well that test goes, he likely would not run a full season in IndyCar. It would be to help prepare himself for a potential run in next year's Indianapolis 500. So if he's not going to run the full season in IndyCar next year and his focus is on that Indianapolis 500 and why he's doing the test at Homestead Miami, uh, uh, that kind of makes it a little more intriguing for me. Uh, he hasn't had a stellar rookie season in the IndyCar uh, this year. So I think his dream is to just, Let's run the Indianapolis 500 and see how that goes at this point. At least that's what it sounds like to me. He says it's just too early to tell. Right now it's really just focused on getting ready for the 500. It would depend on how the test would go. And honestly, to run a full schedule next year would really be complicated. So I don't know how realistic that opportunity would be at the end of the day. So that gives a little bit bigger picture here of uh, what that testing is all about. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, going back to the to what Mike was saying of the surprise, when he announced that he was going to do some IndyCar racing following his departure from NASCAR, to me the surprise wasn't that the Indy 500 was on that list. Uh, he said he was limiting mm-hmm. to it, and I said it was due to his wife. I know he joked about that, I believe. I don't know what the real discussion was, but that it was the road courses and a partial schedule. He wasn't going full-time IndyCar racing. But, yeah, how do you go to IndyCar and then not be part of the 500 itself? I, I, I'm with Mike. I don't see how you even think that is a possibility. The other thing I look at, you both mentioned he hasn't exactly been stellar this year, Road courses haven't exactly been his forte, whether it be on on the IndyCar or on the NASCAR side. So I think that might have something to do with it if they're going to, how do I say this, get the most uh, bang out of their buck of having Jimmy Johnson. It needs to be on ovals if he's better at ovals. When they test him on the oval and that shows up, then look at the Indy 500. And, again, that's where you really do get the most out of it. We've seen other drivers that have Mm -hmm. made that crossover. If it's from IndyCar to NASCAR, it's at the Daytona 500. So there's a reason for that. Uh, So I think that's kind of where that's fitting in is 
they're not getting as much draw out of it as they thought they would. And I, like I said, I believe that maybe the road courses aren't exactly uh, Jimmy Johnson's forte. Let's try it on oval. If we get better results, then make that run at the 500. Okay, Mike. Well, yeah, it's, it's going to be real interesting to see where this test goes. I, Homestead Miami used to look a whole lot like the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but they're very, very different racetracks now. Uh, Homestead, if you don't remember, used to be a distinct four-turn rectangular oval racetrack, and it was built and mm-hmm. it was built and originally marketed as a one and a half mile Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Obviously, that didn't work out, and that's all history. So now Homestead is what it is now. So whether that's going to, if Jimmy goes and, and, and blows the doors off of it at Homestead and he does really well. I'm not sure how much I would read into that of how well that would translate into racing at the Indy 500. I don't know, but I'm really interested to see where it goes from here because really, to be honest, Jimmy Johnson's IndyCar career has nowhere to go but up at this point. Okay. Yeah, and it's interesting that they say Tuesday is his first oval test in an IndyCar uh, to take place at Homestead, Miami. So, the fact that they said the first oval test, I don't know, a lot, depending on how you read that, there could be more oval tests on his docket uh, that might be a little bit closer to the Indy 500. And another tell I thought in some of the conversation here is that uh, uh, focused on getting ready for the 500, it would depend on the test would go and how complicated it might be to to really have a full schedule next season. So uh, I think they're taking it one day at a time here to see how things go. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I think it would be a bigger bang for their buck if they uh, put Jimmy Johnson on the ovals in IndyCar. So uh, we'll see what happens with these tests and if that uh, opens the door for him to do that in the IndyCar. So, Jay, your final thoughts. Again, I, I, I wish him all the best in whatever he's doing, whatever makes him happy. Uh, I think that mm-hmm. you might see some more. I think you might see more success on the ovals from him. Um, but again, I, I do. I would like to see him in the Indy in the 500 in and of itself. Uh, if not, I've enjoyed seeing him on the courses he has run. Uh, just seeing what he can do, you know. Uh, I think back to we just happened to go into a Birmingham Barons game. I like to see Michael Jordan playing baseball. Didn't work out, decided it wasn't <laughs> his thing, but he went out there and tried it and gave it his best. It just wasn't his thing mm-hmm. and didn't happen. So uh, to see somebody do that, I love to see that. You know, Kurt Busch going Formula One racing, all for it if he gets the right situation. Uh, so I do hope him the best, and I would love to see him in the Indy 500, but if that's not what he wants, then I understand that too. Okay. Okay. Well, despite some rumors and controversy, it looks like NASCAR is officially shipping and delivering the next-gen chassis. Um, there are still rumors about the, the testing and some of the things that have happened in testing, to include Denny Hamlin alluding to the Toyota car being destroyed in a test at Texas. So still a lot of news going on with the uh, the next-gen car. Yes, indeed. Jay, uh, did you get a chance to take a look at that, and what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I know that one got posted up here. I was trying to look uh, look through the article itself. Um, I, I'm still confused by this 
being that this next-gen car was originally supposed to come out last year, got delayed a year due to the COVID, how they were not more prepared and more on point with this, that the teams didn't already have it. Then on top of that, you throw in the what's happening in these crash tests, the results of them, and, and moving forward. Uh, I'm starting to get a little nervous, actually, uh, based on some of the things we're hearing, which I understand may not be all the facts, but we've had that discussion as a separate thing. If NASCAR is open and sharing, we wouldn't have these concerns. But uh, I am a little worried about the progression of it, truthfully. Yeah, I'm worried about some of the comments from the drivers specifically, the people who've been in the cars. Um, so uh, there's one of the comments here, it isn't a total surprise that pretty much every driver who has tested the car, excuse me, has tested the car, has talked about how more how much more difficult it is to drive than the current cup car. Chip Ganassi racing driver Ross Chastain uh, said that the springs and the shocks are different, and he almost crashed on his first lap at Dover in being too loose, the initial setup that they had on the Chevrolet prototype car. It was a little slower, a little less power than what we had with the current car at Dover and less grip overall, Chastain said. The steering wasn't quite uh, kicking up on corner exit. I was manually steering. They'll go back and tweak it and make it better. So those are some pretty big things that they're talking about, uh, specifically the one driver, Ross Chastain, there, uh, that that has me a little bit concerned, too. It almost has a feel like NASCAR's rushing this. And I, I don't know why I feel that way, but I do. Uh, because NASCAR is saying that they're right on schedule, and this is going to happen uh, in 2022 uh, as they've been planning. So I'm a little bit concerned. Um, NASCAR has more manufacturing Goodyear tire tests uh, coming, um, but uh, the testing schedule is not necessarily public. Uh, I, I just think I'm a little concerned at this point based on what the drivers are saying. So, Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Jay. It really feels like you know, this is where I would expect them to have been last year if they were looking at rolling the car out for the 2021 season. Obviously, that didn't happen. But this is where I expected them to be at this point last year and then maybe say, ah, oh, we need another year to get it done. Well, it, it, everything that they're saying right now makes it sound like they're going to need another year to get it done but then they're saying, nope, we're doing it next year. And the feedback from the drivers, like you said, Sharon, is not the most positive on the car. Yeah, they say it's hard to drive, but they, they don't mean the, you know, the way they praised Atlanta Motor Speedway with the high, down, high horsepower, low downforce. That's the kind of hard to drive that race car drivers like, the way you can hang a race car out there and you can get the speed out of it. The kind of hard to drive that the drivers seem to be describing with the next-gen car, they use words like numb and edgy. And that's not usually the best descriptors for how a race car handles. Uh, they, they talk about it that it feels, it feels like it's under you until it's not, and then you've just lost control of the car, and it's very difficult to feel where the edge is. And that's where race car drivers make their money, whether it's a NASCAR, IndyCar, IMSA, or go-karts, whatever, is being able to feel where the edge of control is on that car and run the car right up on that edge of control without exceeding it. And I'm sure with enough time and enough practice, 
that current Cup Series drivers, they're, they're pretty decent at driving race cars. They could figure out how to get that out of this next-gen car, but it almost sounds like that it's been engineered to the point where driver feedback is numbed out through the chassis and, and all the other things that are done to the car, and the traditional cues that drivers are used to feeling for feedback on how to control the car just aren't there or they're presented in a different way. And that's on top of the technical challenges that you alluded to with regard to the crash tests and, you know, the inadvertent crashes of the race car that have happened in some of the tests as well. It, it really it just doesn't feel like that car's ready yet. Maybe, maybe it's further along than we think, but every bit of public information really feels like this car is not ready. You would think that the, the team should be getting them and getting them, starting to build them for next season, and it sounds like there's still a lot of testing that needs to be done before they even have a final version of this car ready to go. Jay? Yeah, uh, we're all kind of in that same boat of just uh, that that feel of it, uh, of maybe they're not ready. And as much as we wouldn't want to see it not come out next year, we don't want it to be uh, at, a, at a, I don't want to say unsafe, but not a prepared state uh, as well as it could be. And like Mike said, the fact if they're still needing to do more testing on it, I just my question is is where where was the year year delay in it? Uh, where was the testing in that? Whether it be driver testing or more simulation testing, and I know we've talked about that of driver feedback. And, and I think back to in this case, it's kind of the opposite. I know this car we want to see it more in the driver's hands and the ability to pass. But as Mike said, if it's really then on the engineering design of it and and setup or whatever, not actually on the driver themselves, or the driver can even help give feedback to it. Now, we know that just as the crews learn to deal with things, drivers are going to learn to deal with things. But I think back, and I'm going to look into it uh, when we get off the show tonight, put money on Kyle Busch winning the Daytona 500 next year so he can get out and say, hey, this new car is a POS. He likes to do that. <laughs> yeah, he does. And, um, and he's never won a 500. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> One of the other folks is uh, the chassis manufacturer who's Technique. Uh, they provided the chassis to various teams for decades. Technique settled into a shop in North Carolina, in Concord, North Carolina, and they have, they have hired people from several teams to oversee the process and construct the chassis. It was formed in Michigan uh, by a former racer himself who has eight IndyCar stars. They can build 25 to 30 chassis a month. If contract with NASCAR is to build a minimum of 200 chassis a year with the ability to scale up to 500. Uh, although Technique has about 30 employees, many with extensive experience at race teams, and the shop is running about 12 hours a day, uh, the owners told Fox Sports during a tour of the facility in May that they also use, and this is what concerns me, they also use specifically built robots to do much of the welding. About 95% of the front clip is done robotically, and a significant percentage of the center and rear clips can be done robotically as well. That guarantees the same weld every time. The finished clip, the chassis is made up of three parts, the front clip, center clip, and rear clip, has a QR code that details thousands of points of measurements on the chassis. Uh, the chassis go to NASCAR, which distributes them to chartered teams, 
will get a chassis before open teams, and the teams can then use the QR code to see the measurements of their chassis that has more than a 1,000 data points. That data then can be used after a crash to assess damage when remeasuring those data points. The expected rule will be that we'll be able to have uh, seven active chassis at any one time, and NASA will set up a process for teams teams to get a new chassis after a crash or how many races a team must use a chassis before requesting a replacement, as well as any process for a chassis to be transferred from one organization to another. The smaller teams with less funding obviously would be in the market for used chassis. They're used for buying cars that, that big teams have cycled out of their fleet because of age or not having the most recent technology. Uh, now, Bob Parker said the biggest differences in the next-gen car are going to be the single lug nut as well as the fact that teams won't manufacture their cars but assemble them. Uh, NASCAR President Steve Spelt addresses some of those issues in a uh, podcast that he has here. Uh, but I, I see some issues there. I don't know about you guys, but robots are great, but those are some big uh, points that we're, we're relying on a robot uh, to do some of this welding. Does, is anybody else concerned about that, Mike? You get the final thoughts here. Well, I'm not so much concerned about the robot, but I'm more concerned about the numbers that you just presented of that they can do 25 to 30 chassis per month. That sounds impressive until you start doing the math behind it. There's 36 charter yeah. teams right now. And in order to start the season, I would say that these teams would need a minimum, a bare minimum of three chassis because you're going to start at Daytona and then – I'm, I, they haven't released the 2021 schedule yet, so they could be going to an intermediate. Most likely you're going to have, at the very least, you know you're going to have the Daytona 500. So you're going to need to have a Speedway car. And that is going to be a different car than the car that you're going to race the next week at probably an intermediate. And then the next week it might be a road course or it might be a short track. Um, the, the beginning of the season this year, we, had, we started with the Daytona 500, and then we went directly to a road course. Oh, by the way, if you're in the clash, you need a road course car anyway because that's run at the Daytona road course. So depending how the season is constructed at the beginning of the year, we're going to need at least three, probably five chassis per team, per chartered team, just to get the 36 chartered cars out on the racetrack. Well, if they're producing 30 chassis per month, that means it's going to take them 3.6 months just to produce those three chassis for those 36 chartered cars, not counting any additional chassis that the teams may need if there's a bare minimum above three, and also not counting any open teams who don't have a charter. So you do the math three months from now. Uh, we're tomorrow, or the day after tomorrow is August 1st, right? So August 1st is, uh, to September 1st, one month. September to October, two months. October to November, three months. You're going to be in the middle of December by the time you get to the point where you have at the production rate of 30 chassis per month, middle of December, before you've delivered the bare minimum number of chassis to these teams to have a chance of starting the 2022 season using this car. Well, the math is starting to not some chassis. Some, sure, but I, 
even if you roll, even if all, all the teams have their chassis by what mid November, it's really tough because just because they delivered the chassis doesn't mean it's time to put the uh, the car on the racetrack. There's still a lot of assembly testing and whatnot that needs to go before the car is ready to to actually be raced. So we're, I don't know, maybe they're further along than it seems publicly, but from from this standpoint, the math is starting to not add up of being ready to go for the Daytona 500, presumably in early to mid February. Okay, and let's continue the conversation here because when I posted this, I knew there'd be more than one issue. That doesn't. There's there's other issues here because there's also the parts and pieces that all these people, all these teams are behind schedule on, and they may not have enough parts and pieces for the cars. In addition to that, teams have asked for more than a hundred chassis just for show cars. Cars that are used for promotional events that in the past would just be an old car that's outlived its usefulness on the track. It's important to teams and sponsors that those cars reflect what's on the track. So they're going to give them the cars that are going to be racing first, but there's also all these chassis for the show cars as well, not to mention the parts and pieces that they're already waiting for. So (laughs) what about those issues? So, Jay, let's go ahead and move on with that. Well, first off, I don't miss it, Mike, anymore. He was making me do a whole lot of math in my head there. Uh, That hurt. (laughs) But, the yeah, I mean, truthfully, and I don't even know how to say this because you're going to have to tell the sponsors of the show cars are maybe going to have to wait or wait until after yep. Daytona and we'll beat the, beat the uh, fenders off the one that they're not going to use again for a while and, and take that for your first show car. You know, obviously that's, it's a concern and a, and a something you're going to have to provide, I guess, because sponsors are what drive NASCAR. However, that would not be the priority. As you mentioned, getting these teams, what they need, and, you know, Mike's saying three to three to five to start this season at least, even if they're uh, allowed seven, um, to get them going, yes, there there is a concern. There are several concerns there that – and it, it kind of wrapped around whether they're rushing it or they just weren't prepared uh, for that. And I think one of the things is this all looks good on paper. You know, you put it down on paper, you do the math, oh, we'll have time because they can produce this many – that's barring any hiccups. And we all know in life there are hiccups. There are things that don't go as we plan. Uh, you know, the one of the robots breaks. You got a power outage or something, and now you're not getting those 30 per month, whatever it is. You got you to take into account for that. That's, that's under the ideal optimum conditions, but you can't count on that. So that's a little concerning to me that they're, that they're going based on that on the top end What's at the bottom end? And I'm normally not a worst-case scenario, but if you're preparing for something like that, you have to go with the low end or the worst case is they only get 15 per month. Where does that put us? How are we going to distribute them? Is that going to be enough? And make the decision from there. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Well, do you want to say your piece before I get in on this? Oh, yeah, maybe I should. Um, NASCAR, uh, sorry, NASCAR, um, we are at that time of the night when 
we make an announcement to all of our new listeners, and that is that uh, we're going to go off the air here at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and that means you're probably going to hear us go off the air mid-sentence. That's because we're continuing to record the rest of the conversation uh, past that 10.30 time frame. So that material is available as part of our podcast, as part of our bonus overtime material. Uh, So if you've listened up to that 10.30 mark, uh, what's going to happen is I'm going to come out on Twitter and I am going to let everybody know when the podcast is available, when we've completed our conversation. Uh, And at that point, you can fast forward up to the two-hour mark, either on the podcast, on the player that's available at Blog Talk Radio, uh, the Fan for Racing Network, or at our website, fanforracing.com. Just fast forward to the two-hour mark, and you can then hear the rest of the conversation. So we like to alert people, especially anybody who's listening for their first time, so that nobody's caught off guard when we do go off the air at 10.30 p.m., and you don't know what you have to do in order to hear the rest of that conversation. So, uh, Wick, go ahead and hear what your comments are. All right. Well, first off, Jay, it's a lot easier to do math when you've got a phone in your hand that's not powered by a pterodactyl inside of it. And uh, <laughs> with regard to the, with regard to the, uh, the sponsors and the show car thing, uh, you assume that they're just going to take a back seat on it, and you assume that they're going to eat it as not a priority to have a show car. May I direct your attention to the throwback races that we've had over the past few years where they are super popular with the fans, super popular in the sport, mm-hmm. uh, some of the, the, the most popular races that NASCAR has had in a long time, and look how many sponsors just flat out don't care and they won't play ball to adjust their logo to make a throwback scheme work, or they won't run a throwback at all because their priority is they want their primary logo and their primary paint scheme out on the racetrack, and what we as fans want is not as important as what the sponsor wants. And when it comes down to it, the hand that points to the direction that we're going is the same hand that signs the checks sometimes. So if I'm the guy signing the million-dollar checks and I say I want my show car, well, I get my show car because if I don't, you don't get your multi-million dollar check. And that's just kind of how things go. So I wouldn't assume that if, these, if all these sponsors want their show cars, that they're just going to wait around for half the season until there's chassis available. That may not be the case, at least not for all of them. Uh, with regard to the parts and pieces side of it, you're exactly right. We've kind of been focusing on the chassis because obviously without the chassis, you can't put it all together. But anything, you know, if they've got a shortage of, of those single lug, wheel lug nuts, well, that's it. They can't race the car because any single one of those parts, if there's a bottleneck at any one of those critical parts and they can't come up with a workaround, well, that derails the entire project. And there's thousands of parts that make a race car. Some of them are easy. Some of them are hard. And it's not like you can just go down to your local Napa and pick up the parts to build a race car sometimes, most of the time. So there's a lot of logistical challenges, and time doesn't slow down. So there's not a lot of time left to get it sorted out and still be able to have cars ready to hit the racetrack in mid-February. Yeah, one of the comments uh, from NASCAR is that they've introduced cars over the last 15 years. <laughs> Excuse me. And no one yet has missed a race because a part or a piece wasn't done. 
so they're they're trying to keep people from hitting that panic button. But here's a couple of points that they're not taking into consideration. Um, well, one good thing is that it's going to be the same for everybody. So everybody's going to be in the same boat if if things don't go quite according to plan. But here's some other things to consider. Uh, we had a year-long pandemic <laughs> that just took place. It was it was over a year pandemic. People are not back to work uh, like they were in the past. Or not everybody is going back to work. So a lot of these organizations are short-staffed. It's going to have an impact. The other thing is that now we've got the variant that we're dealing with. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going back to masking. We're going back to we're headed toward possibly closing down again. So that's going to affect the schedule. So I think that there's a lot for NASCAR to take into consideration, but this is a lot different than other years when parts and pieces haven't been available. Uh, There's a lot more going on right now. What makes this different is that neither the teams or the manufacturers are responsible for the manufacturing schedule. So instead of just worries about whether raw materials or other pieces they would have to purchase are available or make alternative plans if they're not, teams are at the mercy of those vendors, uh, many of which will then send products to NASCAR's approved distributor in order to avoid any accusations of favoritism. Go in the pandemic concerns over computer chips availability, uh, the availability of labor, shipping delays, and there's a lot of reason that the concerns this year are a lot different than previous years. Uh, so I think that there's good reason for people to be concerned about those cars not being ready. Uh, and, and I'm worried about NASCAR brushing off those comments, and, and so is uh, Bob Marcus, who, who wrote this article, uh, paying and attributing to those who don't want to see the car complete. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of reason for concerns here. Jay? Yeah, I think it's all been said. We got we got to hope for the best. Uh, and the the one key thing there uh, you mentioned uh, is NASCAR being transparent uh, because it it seems to the public anyway, just uh, to, to include those within the industry, that they're not addressing those concerns uh, like they should be. That as you said, brushing them off. So. Um, that that it that in and of itself is a little concerning to me, like you said, of at least be forward with everything and say, hey, this is our plan. We're aware of this. This is our plan. This is our backup plan. And by all means, have a have a third backup plan, uh, just to reassure these teams that may be looking to make that commitment. New teams coming in, whatever it be, you know, or the ones that are there. And like Mike said, the sponsors that are saying, hey, we're not going to write this check until we know we're going to get what we, we signed up to get. Uh, if that is X number of show cards, well, you got to be prepared for that as well. Absolutely, Mike. Yeah, at this point, 
I'm, I'm interested to see where this goes. But Sharon, you brought up a great point of this is the first generation of cars where the teams are not producing pretty much anything to build this car. Um, with previous generations of cars, NASCAR developed the specification for the car, and then it was more or less on the teams to either produce the car or to at least assemble it from parts that were the team's responsibility to get produced and, and brought into the shop. Um, so if they missed NASCAR, it, it's a little cheeky for them saying, oh, well, we've never missed a race because of parts availability. Well, that doesn't mean that maybe there were some teams that wanted to go race previously with the generation of car who couldn't get it produced in time for whatever reason, but that was their fault. It wasn't NASCAR. So their argument of, well, we've never missed a race because of parts availability. I don't think that's really relevant to this car at all because the parts sourcing for it is such a different structure than it has been for previous generation cars. If I had to guess right now, I would say we haven't seen the end of the Gen 6 car. I don't know that they're going to call it off and run a full season with the Gen 6 car again next year, but we might end up seeing a blended schedule, which would be a nightmare for everybody because teams would have to maintain Gen 6 and Gen 7 cars. But we may end up seeing a blended schedule where they have Gen 6 cars for certain races and then phase in the Gen 7 cars over maybe through the summer of next year as parts and, and pieces become more available and the car gets a little bit more testing and a little bit more ready for prime time. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, I think we've covered quite a bit here. And uh, uh, I, I do think that uh, Jay's right. There needs to be more transparency from NASCAR about why they're thinking that this is all going to be okay when it seems so obvious to all of us that there are so many issues uh, that they need to be looking at. And I agree with Mike. I don't think we've seen the end of the Gen 6 car. I think that uh, uh, there's going to have to be uh, some readjusted thinking. Time's going to tell the rest of the story. We'll see how that goes. I'm going to bring up another subject here real quick. Uh, and it's also part of this article, and that is the two-week break that NASCAR's had for the Olympics. Uh, is this something that was good for NASCAR, bad for NASCAR, and should they consider doing it again? Uh, they've got a couple years before the 2024 uh, Olympics come, but what are your thoughts about this two-week break? Mike, we'll start with you on that one. As a race fan, I hate it. I like sitting at home, and I like watching races. But I also understand that these are the two hottest weeks of the year. Uh, it was 98 today in Columbus, Mississippi. It's supposed to be that hot through the re uh, rest of the weekend. And the rest of the country is not a whole lot cooler, even if you go up north. I spent up most of last week in South Bend, Indiana, and it was in the mid to high 90s up in north central Indiana. So when it's that super, super hot out, it kind of sucks to be sitting in a fire suit either on pit road or in a 150-degree race car. So in the interest of driver safety, well, maybe a two-week break in the, in the hottest two weeks of the year is not a terrible idea either. Uh, it gives the teams a chance to unwind, catch their breath from you know, a physical and a, a mechanical standpoint because – just because we're not racing, I'm sure that it's still a full-time job for all these teams getting the cars ready for Watkins Glen. So they're still working on, on, on getting race cars ready to go. So as a race fan, it sucks not watching racing on TV. But then again, I don't think it's a terrible idea, and it wouldn't be something I'd be terribly upset about seeing established and carried over into the future schedules. Okay, Jay. 
Well, Mike said it there. Your first answer as a race fan, yeah, probably not. Uh, I think if NASCAR is going to look at it, as with everything else we've been talking about, get with those within the industries. You know, the drivers, yeah, but we've seen the posts, they get in vacation time or whatever, but not the entire team necessarily is, as they are still working on cars, uh, preparing for the playoffs uh, for some drivers or for for teams, these next four races of, of tightening stuff up, trying to get into the playoffs. So I'm sure there's a lot of them that it's not even really a break for them. Uh, you know, with the Olympics, obviously it's a special thing uh, that obviously is going to work out with the tele- television partners. Next year, if there's no Olympics, are you going to be able to work in that two-week schedule and the television network be okay with it? Because now they have something to fill that void, and they want to fill it because it's the Olympics. Uh, if it's not next year, then they got to find something to fill that. So they might not be okay with it other than every four years for the Olympics. But I think that's something that would have to be made within the industry. As a fan, to take a fan's perspective of it at that point, yeah, the fans matter. I understand that. But I think more importantly, it would be more so on those within the industry and how it affects uh, them and works out. Yeah, uh, Bob Pachris points out that, you know, one week has been sufficient for most drivers to take that break uh, and kind of refuel themselves and get ready for the last few races of the regular season and then the the schedule for the the playoffs. And I'm all for that. I think the guys deserve to get a little break, you know, before all of the intensity and the build-up to the last race of the season. Uh, and then going into the playoffs. So that makes sense to me. Two weeks is probably even better for these guys to kind of refuel and uh, get ready. And Mike brings up some really good points. Uh, This has been the hottest time of the year, and uh, we've seen drivers be overheated and, uh, uh, you know, not do well after a race uh, with all of the heat. The veteran drivers typically – know how to um, what, replenish themselves or hydrate themselves uh, for these hot, hot days. But you're right. It, it's still not healthy to be driving in those conditions. So it's probably good uh, that they had these last two weeks off. So I'm, I really think it's been a good thing uh, to have the two weeks off. I, I know most fans are probably frustrated by it. Uh, my schedule has just been crazy. Uh, so for me, having that two weeks off and the Monday nights off has been kind of a, a good thing. Uh, but I will say that uh, uh, they do have – the reason it was 2021 this year is because the Olympics, uh, because of the pandemic last year, did not take place last year. So it was rescheduled to the 2021 season. So it's going to make that four-year period a three-year period before the next Olympics come up. So I'm sure NASCAR is going to be looking at it, uh, but I I have no problem with it personally. So, Mike, your uh, follow-up. 
Well, as far as who can fill the <laughs> void, let's get Tony Stewart and Ray Everham on the phone. Let's fire up some more SRX races. I really hope that everyone got a chance to watch those. Those were some phenomenal shows, uh, and that would be a great opportunity to showcase that racing series when all the other, for lack of a better way to describe them, bigger series are on hiatus. Well, you've got a series like SRX that can fill the void with a great product that is really entertaining, and it's not too big of a time commitment because the show is only about two hours from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Same thing with ARCA. ARCA's been featured a little bit more. Uh, Jay? I, I'm, a, I'm a little lost here. Mike wants to show it with a, a series that's with a bunch of old drivers and, and that have no value <laughs> or are going to provide anything. Hey, those old farts put on a show, that's for sure. <laughs> no, let, let, let's hear okay. you say it, Mike. I was wrong. I was wrong. Uh, I can't do that. I, I was, I, I was, no, no, I can't do it. You're not oh. going to get it, Jay. Well, I just thought I'd try. Um, now I forgot. What was the question? Oh, back to, yeah. Uh, the break, like I said, if it does work out as a fan, no, I'm not necessarily in favor of it. But it's certainly not uh, the truck series we've seen where they go three weeks, a month. We saw that have to change because that was just too much. If it needs to be a two-week and that works for the the teams and everything, yeah, good deal. Uh, You know, if I had a vote as a fan, I wouldn't necessarily do it. One week, I think, is, you know, rough enough as it is when we have those. Um, But we survive, so... If they if they need to do it, yeah, I'm gonna I'm still gonna be a fan. I'm not gonna quit watching racing because they took a two week break. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I, like I say, personally, I didn't have a problem with it. Maybe that's because I was so darn busy myself. Um, but uh, I I uh, can certainly see it from the fans' perspective and from that Camping World Truck Series. Man, they've got to plan better uh, for this Camping World Truck Series. They have. Uh, to, to not have it should be just two weeks and before their last race of the season talk about giving them a break before uh the last race of the season that that's too much uh these guys had at least three weeks if not four weeks uh that they're they're having to wait so i would like nascar to take a look at that schedule and uh you know tie that into the olympic uh uh break and everything so that it's not such a long break. And I understand this year uh, they they probably were caught off guard a little bit because of the pandemic and the fact that it went into this season and not last season. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, it, it's uh, – I think for the Olympics it shouldn't be a problem. So – and I do like the idea of highlighting the Arkham Menard series during that time as well, even though – I don't think it's hurt, but it would be worth looking into whether it's hurt visibility of the Arkham Menard series or if it has given them more uh, eyes on the, what's happening in that series uh, during this time. I don't know what the result of that would be, but it would be an interesting study to do. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to the next topic. Um, let's see. Jay, I think that's you. That gets to lead us into another topic, if there is one. <laughs> uh, there most certainly is one. We're talking about NBC. They just uh, – let me see if I can get it pulled up here now. Um, 
redid the uh, deal with IndyCar, and NASCAR's TV deals are coming up, I believe, in 2024 or 2025. But we're looking at the possibility, if it's with NBC, of some of those races being on their streaming uh, platform, which is Peacock. Uh, yeah, Peacock. And thus, you would have to buy that. And I believe the price is $4.99 a month. Uh, and you get all of that. Uh, let's see where it says. I know somebody responded to it. It's not just racing. I actually know uh, WWE is on there as well. Somewhere it told me the, the amount, of, amount of content you can get by signing up for Peacock. Here it has over 18,000 18, hours of programming, other entertainment, sports, and news. All that you pay for $4.99 a month. But you may have to in order to see certain races if that's the case. Okay, Michael, your thoughts. If there's anything that would turn me off from being a race fan, it'd be that. I will not pay NBC for their streaming service just to watch racing. I have no interest in any of their other content. And if they want to pay while racing behind their service, they're going to lose me as a viewer. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to be one of, the, uh, one of many who have that same uh, attitude. There's already enough people who can't watch the races because they run them on their cable only NBCSN or FS1 when the, uh, when the races are on Fox. If they further put it behind a wall – where you have to pay an additional fee on top of your TV service provider, I would be surprised if they get 10% of the viewership that they get right now on an NBCSN-covered race. I think it would be a terrible idea. I think it would be about the death of, of coverage for the sport, at least in terms of those races. And I think it would be a, a, a step backwards that we would very, very much struggle to ever recover from. Okay, uh, and I'm sure that that's going to be the case for some fans. Some people are already paying. Uh, I think it's the $4.99 a month fee. Uh, and, and to Jay's point, they're getting a lot more than just the races uh, for that fee. Um, so those people are going to be able to watch those races. They do it now. I think it's, what, $44 a year? Uh, and it might be 44 and some change, uh, to get the NBC Sports Gold programming. Uh, if you want to see the ARCA races and some of the modified races and, and other racing that goes on, uh, some people are already paying that. Uh, but you're right, Mike, not everybody's going to do it. Um, and so NASCAR will lose some viewership uh, by, by uh, doing that and, and putting it on a streaming service. But I would like to think that they would do what ARCA Racing does. And ARCA Racing, in, even though uh, you can pay the fee and see the streaming of the race at, um, at uh, NBC Sports Gold for some of their events, uh, they do have the radio coverage that is available at ArcaRacing.com. So I would think that NASCAR would have that also available. So if you can't watch the race, at least you can listen to the race on the radio at, at NASCAR.com. And I would, people also pay, by the way, people also pay so that they can listen to this at NASCAR.com and enhance their, their experience uh, of the race by listening to the scanner and getting information there. Uh, that also provides in-car uh, camera 
uh, for some of the drivers every week. So, and I know some of the uh, cable companies offer that extra fee for watching the in-car camera on their services as well. So they're already doing that to a certain degree. Uh, I know that uh, some fans are not going to be happy with it, but that is what's happening in our world right now. And people are already paying extra fees in order to get the scanner and, you know, other enhanced features. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? I'm on Mike's side, but I'm not. Uh, I am not in favor of it. I don't like it, but I think we're in the minority. Sharon, you said it, that it is the way of the world, the the evolution, the next generation. Uh, My nephew doesn't watch any TV. He watches everything off of his phone. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you got the, the Fox app, the NBC app, whatever it be. Uh, So I think we're in the minority when it comes to that. Yes, you're going to aggravate a percentage of fans. And normally in the case of something like that, it is the minority that raises the most ruckus, but they are the minority. Mm -hmm. I don't want uh, it to be any, Take, for example, what is it, NBC has the first half of the year, going based off of what we have now, if they have the first half of the year, uh, 18 races, I hope that they wouldn't put very many of them on that streaming uh, option because I am one that probably then won't watch the race. Uh, and, I, and I say that of being, a, you guys know I'm a WWE fan, they sold their network to Peacock, I haven't bought it yet, and I just don't get to watch their pay-per-views anymore. Uh, you know, and four ninety-nine for the paper or per month for a pay-per-view is a good deal, and there is other content. It's just not how I want to watch uh, watch anything uh, or do, go that route of having to pay that. Like Mike mentioned, you're paying that on top of your cable or uh, satellite bill. Um, I just I get frustrated with that, and I'm not one that wants to watch it via my phone. So the app thing isn't isn't my thing. Um, you're going to aggravate some, but I don't think it's a majority, and I don't think it's going to hurt them bad enough that if they do it, uh, it's going to cost them or cause them to change their mind and go back because I think they'll f- see it as a as a doable option. Unfortunately. Okay, uh, Mike. Yeah, Jay brings up a good point. There's, I'm not sure if we're there yet or not, but we've got to be really close. There is a critical mass of streaming services now where we've already seen, not, not just in the sports world, but more so in the, uh, the scripted uh, entertainment-type television show world, where it used to be Netflix was about the only subscription streaming service that was out there. Everything else was either direct from the company or, or, or just didn't exist, Right. So you had your 10, mm-hmm. 10 bucks a month for, for Netflix. Well, now you've got Netflix and Hulu and SiriusXM and HBO and all these other networks, NBC included, uh, relevant to the discussion, who all have their own independent streaming service with their own independent content, and they all want to firewall off their content from anybody else who is not a subscriber. So you can't watch a... HBO exclusive movie on Netflix. You've got to pay for the other subscription. And you can't watch a mm-hmm. Fox exclusive race on NBC because, well, they're two different networks. You've got to pay for the subscription. It used to be that a cable subscription service 
you know, whether it be from a traditional hardline cable or something like YouTube TV, bridge that gap. So you could watch Fox content and NBC content and the content of every other provider on that cable network. Well, now these, these content providers want to firewall off their content again and take it away from those aggregated services like your cable provider. And now you're, now you've got content that you can't access anymore. Well, Piracy is back. It was big in the 90s. It kind of tapered off in the mid-2000s as, as content became more accessible for people without having to pay additional fees. But we've seen in the entertainment industry, piracy is back big time for movies, TV shows, and whatnot. And it has a lot to do with the fact that people don't want to or can't afford to pay probably 100 bucks a month or more for all the different subscription streaming services that it would take to see all the different content that they want. So they don't, they don't pay for it. They just steal it. They pirate it. And if NASCAR wants to get into the, the, the game where the majority of people who are viewing their races are doing so illegally via a pirated bootleg stream, well, the way to do it is to firewall it off behind a streaming service. And I want to be very clear in case there's anybody listening who has any sort of decision-making or wants to count any kind of feedback in this decision-making process, count me as a vote as somebody who you will lose as a paying subscriber, if the content is firewalled off where I have to pay for an exclusive NBC streaming service or Fox or CBS or anybody else for that matter, if I have to pay an additional streaming service fee, you will lose me as a legal viewer of the content. And I don't think I'm the only guy. And I think anyone who has that same feeling needs to make their opinion known. So when that decision is made, that feedback is out there and it's weighing on the people who are making that decision. Yeah, but like Mike, like Jay said, you're in the minority, Mike. Uh, I'm I'm one of these people. I very rarely watch network TV. Very rarely. I I the only reason I have cable is because of the races, so that I could get the NBC Sports Network channel and the Fox Sports channel, so that I can watch the races. Uh, but if they go to live streaming. I would pay the extra five ninety nine a month for Fox or the extra four ninety nine a month for uh I would discontinue my cable number one. I, I, I have no need for cable. <laughs> uh and I would go to my monthly subscription uh gladly. Because anything that I wanna watch I can get that way. And uh I don't need to pay the what over whatever I'm paying now on my cable, I can reduce that cost by not having cable. So for me, I actually save money by go having the streaming services versus having the cable. So I um, am one of those people that it's not going to affect me. It's just not. So for me, I'm still going to be able to see those races I'm still going to be able to, and and a lot of fans, especially the future of NASCAR, the younger people, that's what they're doing. They're they're not watching network TV. They're not watching those stations. So everything they're watching, Jay mentioned his, his nephew. Uh, I have a lot of people that do that too. I know a lot of people that do that, uh, and that's the that's the only way uh, that they watch it and. Like I say, the only reason I have cable right now is because of NASCAR. I can ditch that in a minute if they go to the streaming services. So I'm, for me, 
it's it's not that bad of a deal. Jay? Yeah, I'm I'm in between. Uh that is the primary reason I do have uh have the cable is for the racing. Um and like I said, if they roll it out where it's say five out of their eighteen races, that just means more than likely I won't get to see those particular five races. If they go to the whole season, I'm a race fan, so then I might have to reconsider. I don't know if I could give give up cable altogether. Like I said, the, the racing is my primary reason, but there are a lot of other things I do watch. So, and I don't I don't have any. Everything's of the movie available or, next day on Hulu. <laughs> I that's I don't have Hulu either. Uh, now, like you said, if you if you figure it out, yeah, you're probably going to save money. Uh, but I'm one that I don't want to have eight different apps uh, that I got to pick and choose and and go to. Like Mike said, you gotta if you want to watch this show, you gotta have HBO. If you want to watch this show, you gotta have this one. Uh, that's where mm-hmm. I get frustrated. I'm I'm with him on that. Uh, you know, uh, I'm one that's in the convenience of one bill for whatever. Yeah, it's probably a little bit more, but it beats eight different eight different ones and having eight different apps that I gotta pick and choose from. Uh, but that's me, and I understand that. Like like you said, Sharon, that next generation. And I think about dirt track racing, uh, dirt on dirt, uh, the World Outlaws, Mav TV. That that a lot of people. That's how they watch all these other races. Um, and everybody's asking, even even here locally. I know Mike's familiar with the Crate Racing USA that that runs through the southeast here. They now have their own platform, and may have something to announce reference that when it comes to the street stock nationals, but uh, can't at this point. Um, it is what it is, and, you, and you're going to have to adapt or go without. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And like I said, for if, they, if it's five races a year, I might listen to those five races. I do have Sirius XM in my uh, vehicle. I might have to, to be out in my vehicle then for, for that race. Uh, if it's the whole <laughs> season, then I'll have to reconsider. You can get the app for your phone and still listen to it. You don't have to sit in your car. Oh, that's a, you're right, and I do. That is one app I do have on my phone is the Sirius XM one. Yes, that way I can, don't <laughs> Wait, have to get so, out to yeah. listen to Dave Moody. <laughs> so the the app on your phone does a pterodactyl just do an impression of Dave Moody's voice? Is that how that works? Yes. <laughs> he dances around too. It's got a little video with it. It dances. But uh, a lot of people are ditching the cable. I know a lot of people don't have cable anymore. They're doing everything on streaming. So it's it's the way of the future for sure. Okay. Um, I think we're going to have to call it a night here for tonight. But uh, uh, I thought we had some great conversation here on some uh, very big topics uh, and a lot to talk about. So uh, let's go ahead and start a roundtable. Mike, we'll start with you. It's going to be Mike underscore Zell on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Working on an article right now. Not going to, not going to tip my hand as to what it is. It's still going through, uh, let's call it the refinement process, if you will. Uh, so hopefully it's, uh, it's ready for prime time here shortly and, and we can get it out to the masses. So keep an eye out. For yeah. That. And my apologies uh, for my time commitments here too, uh, kind of interfering. Okay. Uh, Jay? Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm going to have to check. Uh, Mike, did you say you're back on Twitter? 
I've been on Twitter. It's Facebook that I've been hard banned from. Oh, I thought I thought I thought you were off Twitter too. Okay. Um, and coming up this weekend, we got the Mississippi State Championship Challenge Series Super Late Models at your Capital City Raceway, Jackson Motor Speedway. And hopefully I'll get something to Sharon as well here for her to work on <laughs> and fill up more of her time. <laughs> okay. Stamp Racing Psych at uh, uh, Twitter and Stamp Racing Blog and Radio everywhere else, including com. And I, we do have a couple of articles uh, that are in the process, one from Mike as well as one from uh, Tommy. And the one that Jay's uh, going to be sending my way. Uh, so hopefully my time will free up here. I've, I'm trying to work on that to, to free up some time uh, so that uh, I can get back to uh, business here. Uh, and uh, uh, we will have uh, Sam back on board too when we get back to racing with his recaps. I know. Uh, Owen uh, is wanting to get back to doing the uh, power rankings, so do watch for more articles to be coming out at FanforRacing.com down the road here, uh, and uh, we'll be getting that on. I do want to do a shout-out to my son. Uh, He did come out down with COVID, so he is isolating right now. He had a rough couple of days, but uh, he is uh, actually in a very positive situation with his work where he has an office at home. He can work from home and still be able to get some of his work in and still isolate from the family with that office uh, that they just – he just put that office in. So uh, I'm I'm happy for that. Uh, But uh, it's been a little bit of a haul there for him too. So a big shout-out to him, and we're hoping for a speedy recovery there. Uh, And so with that – uh, I think we're ready to call it a night. Uh, big shout out to our listeners for tuning in and to our fan for racing crew for being part of our show each and every week. So thank you guys for all that you do. We appreciate uh, you and the listeners. <laughs> so with that, we'll call it a night. All right. Good night, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. Uh, look forward to seeing you next Thursday night here at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, or 9.30, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.